recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, and welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're at episode number 79, and I'm your host, Ray Russell. I want to welcome you guys to a very special episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade this week as we cover the weekend of May 2nd through the 4th of 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, we're going to talk all about the Superstars of Wrestling Wrestling Challenge. We're even going to cover primetime wrestling for that week and smack dab in the middle of all of that goodness. It's the May 2nd edition of the WWF's Saturday night's main event. So much goodness coming your way this week here on The Grenade. Lots to talk about, lots to get into. But first, a reminder that you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade and our sister shows like Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, where we talk all about the Raw versus Nitro War, a new season of Monday Warfare preparing to drop very shortly. Plus, you can also listen to our brand new show, The Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. All of that as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network on WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. You can also follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also follow and like us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Be sure to follow us on social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. Also, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. I'm uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. And you guys may not know this by now, but now is a great time to become a patron. A WrestleCopia patron, that is. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I only ask you guys to give it a try at the $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of goodies for $5, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, and now the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. you also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. Listen days sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners plus remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project. What do these remastered versions include? Well, I'm glad you asked. It includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints edited right back in. And that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of our podcast shows, Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content edited in, plus digital downloads, and so much more for just $5. 
No subscription. Cancel anytime. Show your support. Give it a try for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please help us pay some of the bills. Help keep the WrestleCopia brand up and running for the months and the years to come. And all right, guys, with all of that out of the way, I'm going to lay down the format for you this week so you know where we're going before we get there. We're going to kick things off with the May 2nd edition of Superstars here in just a moment. We're going to follow that up with the May 3rd edition of the WWF's Wrestling Challenge. And we're going to finish up that segment of the show by taking a look at the May 4th edition of Primetime Wrestling. From there, we're going to jump into the big one, the May 2nd edition of the WWF Saturday Night's Main Event. Lots of great action coming your way later on in the grenade. Lots of sound bites. Shocker. Throughout this entire episode, you're not going to want to miss it. More hacksaw shenanigans with the Sheik and Volkov. We see the in-ring debut of the Barber character for Brutus Beefcake. We'll also see Adrian Adonis' final televised appearance in a WWF ring. Killer Khan will make his return to the World Wrestling Federation. Plus, the great debate. We're going to listen to and break down the great debate between Bobby the Brain Heenan and ex-con number 59919, Ken Patero this week. All of that, and as I already mentioned, sound bites galore, and we're just getting started. Let's not forget on the other side of that, it is Saturday night's main event. Randy Savage and George Steele, the feud comes to a head. The conclusion is today here on The Grenade, when the Macho Man battles the animal in a lumberjack match. Plus, the British Bulldogs challenge the Hart Foundation for the titles they felt they should have never really lost. This time, the two teams will compete in a two out of three falls match, and Intercontinental Champion... Ricky the Dragon Steamboat will have his very first title defense here on TV. He'll take on the challenge of the mighty Hercules. And for the very first time since WrestleMania 3, we'll hear from both the champion and the challenger of the main event on that big event, Hulk Hogan. And Andre the Giant, along with manager Bobby the Brain Heenan, we're going to hear from both sides about that match, including Bobby Heenan promising film footage to prove that Andre the Giant is the uncrowned WWF World Heavyweight Champion. We'll get to that after a while here on The Grenade, but first we're going to dive right into things. It's the May 2nd edition of the WWF's Superstars of Wrestling. All right, and we get rolling here this week. It is WWF Superstars for May 2nd. Tape back April 23rd. Hey, a new TV taping here in Worcester, Mass. At the Centrum, it's Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura, Bruno Sammartino on commentary. As we head off to the ring, we kick things off with the former, I don't want him to hear me say that, but it is the former Intercontinental Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, the lovely Elizabeth in his corner, taking on Special Delivery Jones. And Liz rocking an absolutely gorgeous white dress here this week. Pre-match, the Macho Man grabs the microphone. He looks incensed and is clearly pissed off that ring announcer Mel Phillips referred to him as the former Intercontinental Champion. It's one of the many reasons to dislike Mel Phillips, or so I hear. Savage says he isn't a former anything. He is the uncrowned Intercontinental Champion, and furthermore, the uncrowned World Champion as well. Savage continues his hate toward the crowd, but is caught off guard with a headbutt by Special Delivery Jones, and it's on from there. Jones continues to work over the Macho Man, still in his ring robe, 
SD Jones with a body slam and a clothesline as the Macho Man has to roll outside and regroup. The crowd absolutely eating it up as the Macho Man finally removes his robe, but SD follows him to the outside and continues on the offense till the referee reprimands Jones, distracting Jones long enough for the Macho Man to take over with a big high knee from behind on the outside, sending SD into the ring post. From there, the Macho Man whipping SD Jones into the guardrail for good measure, then back inside for the patented flying elbow drop. And the Macho Man picking up the win in just one minute and 40 seconds. Post-match, Savage with a double axe handle off the top rope into the ring. And he's not done yet, flinging SD Jones out to the floor. Savage back to the top rope, this time hitting a second flying double axe handle, this time to the outside. Now, you know, some guys get lazy when they come to the WWF. But the Macho Man, not one of them. And he literally earned everything he got here over the years in the World Wrestling Federation. And this, this was a really fun match. Savage bumped great for special delivery Jones and looked awesome as the aggressor as well. But would you expect anything less? So we get a win here for the Macho Man as Vince McMahon on commentary shills Savage's big lumberjack match here tonight against George the Animal Steel as part of Saturday night's main event. And then we see a five-second clip of Vince trying to talk to Steele about the match, but we get no response, so we move on with the show. It's time for Update with Craig DeGeorge this week. He talks about the ongoing feud between Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes. Let's take you now to the Update. From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine, here's Update with Craig DeGeorge. And hi, everyone. We've got a question to throw at you here on Update, so get your gloves ready. Who's the master of the full Nelson? You may have your own thought on that, but there's really no definitive answer just yet. Although the Heenan family, in its outlandish manner, bills Hercules not only as the strongest man, but also possessor of the fullest full Nelson. Now, Portland's own Billy Jack Haynes has other ideas. In fact, he says he occasionally endorses checks as Mr. Full Nelson. Haynes and Hercules did meet in WrestleMania three, but unfortunately, the story of that one had nothing to do with Full Nelsons. Double count out, both men counted Ooh, outside. Oh, look at this. Look at this, Gorilla. Distracted now as Hercules wraps the chain. Oh, come on. Bobby the Brain Heenan certainly did his job there and distracted Billy Jack. And wow. Hercules' gross use of that 50-pound steel chain boxing glove has left more than just a physical scar on Haynes. I'm not claiming to be no better than anybody else, Hercules. I've said it time and time again. WrestleMania 3 in front of 93,000 people live, in front of millions and millions of people, national and international. Now, I hate to scream and yell like I said before. We didn't see who the master of the full Nelson was. Now you brought the chain in, and I've got 30 stitches in my head because of you, punk. Now, bring the chain all over the globe. I don't care where it's at. You and me is going to get this finished once and for all. All right, Billy Jack, we are all indeed looking forward to that one. With Update, I'm Craig DeGeorge. All right, so during that promo, Billy Jack actually pulls up that hair, that big full head of hair of his, to reveal the giant scar that he got at WrestleMania. He said it took 30 stitches to seal that wound shut after being nailed by the chain of Hercules four times at that big event. Haynes says they still haven't resolved anything. Who is the master of the full Nelson? We'll have to wait and see. Billy Jack, no doubt, looking for revenge on the mighty Hercules. And you know, this feud, it felt hot coming out of WrestleMania. 
But like many things going on right now in the WWF, it's been on the back burner for, for more than a month now, and that can slow anything down. But I'm sure the chain matches and the house shows will be fun. And for the record, Billy Jack Haynes' psycho screaming, it's downright scary. I wouldn't fuck with him. Superstars continues, we get a promo from luscious Johnny V. Johnny V proclaiming that Brutus Beefcake was the weak link in the Dream Team. JV is so confident he can beat the Beefer one-on-one that he's giving his new Dream Team the night off. That may be a mistake, Johnny V. As we head to the ring, it's luscious Johnny V in the ring awaiting his opponent, his former charge. It is Brutus Beefcake. No, wait. Mel Phillips corrects us. Adding to his already colorful name, he now wishes to be known as the Barber, as in Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And the ring announcer confirms it here for us. Beefcake now wants to go by the nickname The Barber. And that's pretty obvious here. Beefcake making his way to ringside wearing a barber's smock and carrying a pair of scissors to ringside with him. And by scissors, I don't mean hedge clippers, guys. I mean barber scissors. And it looks so awkward when Brudai holds them in the air, grabs each side, each handle of the scissors by one hand, mimicking cutting with them. It was exactly what he does with the hedge clippers, just with tiny scissors instead that I doubt the crowd could even see. Nevertheless, the gimmick is now in full effect. We haven't seen Brutus in the ring since WrestleMania, but he seems to be over here with the fans. And as we get going, we get an insert promo from Brother Brudai. He says, people asking, why do you want to be called the barber? He says, not because of what he did to Adrian Adonis, but because moving forward, he's going to do a little bit of trimming and cutting on anyone who gets in his way. Then back to the ring for the action. Johnny V jumping the beefer and gets it a few shots before Beefcake comes back, catching Johnny in a big body slam and dumping JV to the outside. Then back in the ring, Valiant tries for a second run at Brudeye, but it doesn't work out. And Valiant falls to Beefcake's brand new finisher, the sleeper hold. In just one minute and 39 seconds, Johnny V is out cold in no time. Brutus picks up the win here over his former manager and the crowd solidly behind the barber. Post-match shenanigans see Beefcake head outside. He puts back on his barber's jacket and grabs a pair of clippers out of the pocket, shaving off part of Johnny V's hair, leaving mostly a mohawk intact. And you know, as time went on, people shit all over this gimmick. They shit on Ed Leslie, the wrestler, as well. But when you go back and watch this on film, the proof is in the pudding. Brutus Beefcake's face turn, it was over. And the crowd loved watching the newly named Barber humiliate his opponents with haircuts as well. So let's break it down real quick. Outside of some promos to keep him fresh in your mind, Beefcake has been out of the ring for five weeks. He hasn't wrestled on TV since WrestleMania 3. Makes his return, and they have the entire gimmick figured out here, outside of some hedge clippers anyway. So he gets the nickname The Barber. He wears barber clothes. He carries scissors to the ring. He has clippers with him to cut the people's hair. He debuts a brand new gimmick, the sleeper hold, which makes sense. It's the best way to cut your foe's hair without them fighting back. And Vince on commentary even coins the phrase strutting and cutting. So Beefcake going to do some strutting and some cutting here on Johnny V. And outside of those hedge trimmers, like I said, the entire barber package makes its debut here to much success, I'd have to say. As Superstars rolls on, we head off to Mean Gene Okerlund. He's standing by with one of the brand new tag teams here in the WWF. It's Paul Roma and Jimmy Powers. 
All right, stay tuned, fans. We're going to get you back up into the ring here in just a moment or two for more exciting World Wrestling Federation action. A couple of young men that I have the utmost respect for, and certainly I'm going to make this prediction that in the very near future, you're going to see these two gentlemen being one of the most competitive tag teams here in the World Wrestling Federation, an organization certainly known for an abundance of tremendous tag teams. Come on in from Kensington, New York, Paul Roma from New York City. Jimmy Powers, gentlemen, come on in. A lot of things right now happening in the World Wrestling Federation, Jimmy, and a lot of things happening for you and Paul. Well, that's right, Gene. Me and Paul just recently teamed up together, and we're looking forward to challenging all the teams of WWF. We're looking forward to getting in the ring and showing ourselves. You know, Paul, uh, you and Jim have got to hang out, so to speak, together, get timing down, get the, the teamwork, that communication going, and I would assume that you're spending countless hours at that right now. Yeah, we are. You know, it takes a lot of time to get the timing down, and uh, we've been working together real well. And, you know, by going out against these top tag teams, and that's all we've been put up against, we're going to learn, you know. It's going to take some time, but we got time. We're young, and uh, we're going to show the people we, we got what it takes. You know, you take a look at the tag team situation right now. We have the Hart Foundation, Brett the Hitman Hart, Jim the Amble Knight Hart, tag team champions. But then you have so many top contending tag teams right now. The British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, the two of you, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Demolition. They're just a tremendous abundance of tag teams. I've never seen anything like it, Jim, and I've been covering this great sport for 16 years. Well, Gene, just to get to the tag team champions, you got to go through a number of other tag teams. Exactly. And me and Paul... Uh, looking forward to getting in there and doing just that. All right, Paul Roma, a lot uh, to look forward to for Jim and yourself. Oh, yeah, we're going to show the people. All right, I thank you very much. Keep your eyes on these two young men, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, and we're right back. All right, and the duo getting their timing together in the ring and hope to give the tag division a run for its money. We'll have to wait and see what happens there with the future young stallions, but we head back to the ring. It is Nelson Valu standing by, waiting to take on his opponent, the returning Killer Khan, now managed by Mr. Fuji. Now, this is Killer Khan's return after his last run here in 1982, where he feuded with Andre the Giant after being pushed as the man who broke the ankle of Andre. Now, the Giant did have a legit broken ankle at the time, 1981 going into 82. When he returned to action, Khan was gifted the honor of being dubbed the man who broke his ankle. Even though the injury didn't occur in the ring at all, Andre actually broke his ankle, are you ready for this, by getting out of bed. Needless to say, having it injured by a wrestler is a little more exciting for storyline purposes anyway. And for you Meltzer nuts out there, the Andre vs. Killer Khan feud was also once named Feud of the Year in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, so take that, guys. That feud with Andre coming back in the ring would lead to Mongolian stretcher matches and things of that nature before Khan was gone from the WWF, but here he is back five years later, and unfortunately all of that took place five years ago. Khan is now 40 years old, and fans have forgotten Killer's past, and they don't do anything here on commentary to help push that old storyline, so it doesn't really help the Killer here. But we do get an insert promo as the match gets going. It's Mr. Fuji and Killer Khan. Fuji off screen, while Khan makes ridiculous looking faces. Fuji says that Killer Khan likes to make people suffer. I have to ask, doesn't everyone that Fuji manages like to do that? Also, the nickname here is Killer. So what else do you expect from the guy? And throughout that Fuji promo, Khan just stands there making those silly faces. He's evil, you see. Killer Khan, the evil Mongolian as we get into the ring. Killer beating down on Nelson Valu with chops and kicks. And a surprise super kick out of nowhere. 
super kick of sorts. Anyway, he did get his foot up there to the face of Valu. Pretty impressed there by Killer Khan. Khan lands a backbreaker, and then it's a middle rope knee drop. Ends this matchup. Khan picks up the win in just one minute and 27 seconds. You know, a guy this size was clearly brought in to make some type of impact and likely eventually job to Hulk Hogan on the house shows somewhere down the road. But whatever ability Khan once had doesn't really show off here too much. And also, a killer Mongolian in mainstream 1987 doesn't seem very realistic. Although you do have to admire Vince McMahon's determination to feature every quote-unquote walk of life, however. So let's look at the checklist here. Coming into 1987, Mr. Fuji managed Don Morocco. Now, Fuji has Morocco, Bob Orton, Sika, Kamala, Axe and Smash Demolition, and now Killer Khan as well. From one to seven wrestlers in like four months' time, Fuji working overtime here, Boysan. And speaking of working overtime, this guy's everywhere. Let's head back to Mean Gene Oakland once again, this time standing by another promo with Billy Jack Haynes. All right, hi again, folks. Mean Gene Oakland here, and wow, I've got to bring in this gifted and talented man, and he certainly proved, for the most part, in WrestleMania three, just exactly how talented he is. Billy Jack Haynes from Portland, Oregon. Welcome back at our program, and you've had a couple of weeks to digest what happened in WrestleMania three in that match with Hercules. Any thoughts now after the match? Gene, you're right. I've had a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I have plenty of thoughts. Uh, there was a lot of yelling and screaming that went on there, and. Uh, we really didn't get a chance to see who the master of the fool Nelson is. Bobby Heenan, his manager, had. I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. WrestleMania 3 is history, but one thing I got to look in the mirror, Gene, and these 30, 30 stitches that he put up on my head with the chain. And I don't care where it is down the road, Gene, but this is going to have to be settled once and for all. I was born and raised in the streets in Oregon. I love Oregon. One day, Hercules. I don't know when. One day. You know, Bobby Heenan certainly had worked on Hercules in the, the weeks going into WrestleMania 3. That event saw... Uh, seen by, by 93,173 people, the largest ever in terms of an indoor attendance mark. But I've got to believe, if you have an opportunity, I don't care where it is in the World Wrestling Federation, Billy Jack Haynes, to meet Hercules under any conditions in a straight match, a lumberjack match, a chain match, wouldn't be a bad idea. But if you have an opportunity, you're going to jump at that chance. Gene, it's exactly right. I've already talked to the promotion. You know, the World Wrestling Federation is the best competition in the world, and that's why I'm here. I'm not no crybaby. I'm not crying over 30 stitches. But like I said, I was born and raised in the streets, and you can knock me down, but I'm going to get back up. You can knock me down, and I'm going to get back up. I'm in the best shape of my life. Yes, Hercules, you're a tough man. You proved it, but I'm still breathing air. And one of us, I don't care where it is in the country, we're going to go toe-to-toe, man. All right, I thank you very much, Billy Jack Haynes. I thank you. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. All right, so Haynes versus Hercules getting back in the groove. They didn't get the chance to see who the master of the full Nelson was at WrestleMania. Haynes again talks those 30 stitches to the head. Billy Jack was born and raised in the streets of Oregon and says this issue hasn't been resolved. You can knock him down, but he'll keep getting back up. And I, I just feel like they should have struck right after WrestleMania while the iron was still hot in this feud. Who knows how over this program could have been at this point, but again, five weeks later, and we're, we're getting our first real follow-up since WrestleMania. But Haynes versus Hercules coming to a city perhaps near you in a chain match. Sure, those were very brutal. As we see a clip of Outback Jack somewhere in the back, mate. Outback eating a WWF ice cream bar. Don't eat it too fast, Outback. You might get an ice cream headache. No worries, mate. I'm Outback Jack. 
And the vignettes continue from there, from Outback Jack eating an ice cream bar to Kamala and Sika, along with Fuji and Kimchi in the background. The pair of savages destroy a pair of what Vince refers to as live lobsters, cracking them, breaking them, ripping them to shreds, and then sinking their teeth into these quote-unquote live lobsters. And this segment goes on entirely too long. Where is PETA in 1987? Dear God, Kamala and Sika just destroying these lobsters. Shell and all. As we head back to the ring, it's the Can-Am Connection. Rick Martell and Tom Zink taking on the team of Dusty Wolf and Rocky Stone. Rocky Stone, also known as Tom Stone in later years here in the WWF. Stone and Wolf try to get the best of Martell early with a doubled top wrist lock, but Rick backflips out of it to counter and takes them both over in a monkey flip simultaneously. And then it appears that this time we're getting a four-way melee, but there's clearly some miscommunication somewhere here by Stone, maybe Zink, maybe both. Tom Zink, though, takes over it with the Boston Crab on Dusty Wolf, but Rocky Stone back in clotheslining Zink to force him to release the hold. The job guys then try to double-team Zink, but eat a dropkick for their troubles, the future Z-Man busting out a one-footed dropkick, one for each member of his opponents. Very cool stuff there by the Z-Man. Zink then with a quick tag to Rick Martell, who comes in on fire, dropkicks for both the job guys, as the Can-Ams with their own version of the heart attack, Martell picking Wolf up in a bear hug, Zink delivering a high dropkick, taking him down to the mat, before Rick Martell with the slingshot splash. And Dusty Wolf ends it here in three minutes and three seconds. And you know, this may be the first match I've seen with the Can-Ams that was mm, not very good. They just weren't clicking here this week with their opponents. Lots of timing issues throughout the match. But they were over as shit, so that helps them out a lot here. You can definitely buy these guys as the next big tag team champions. No doubt about it. As we head off once again, Craig DeGeorge. He's standing by somewhere with Blackjack Mulligan. All right, with me right now, one of the roughest and toughest to ever come out of the south part of Texas, Blackjack Mulligan. Let's just Black- straighten things out right now, my friend. Hold your horses, because I am the roughest, toughest thing that has ever come out of West Texas. Now, let me tell you something, Ronnie Bass, and you had better let that stick in your craw, and you had better get that straight, because you can settle, you can say anything you want to about Blackjack Mulligan. You can call me a polecat, you can call me an utter puller, you can call me anything you want to. But Ronnie Bass, the apple of my eye, you had better leave alone. Because Sarah Joe Puckett just happens to be one of the main things in my life. Just because she's a, well, she's a little plump. And because she's a, they got a few teeth missing. What does she look like? She's 200 pounds on the hoof. Don't you worry about, brother, because she drives a pickup truck. Because she likes Willie Nelson tape, brother. Because she can ride a big bull, brother. Don't get me upset, Bass. Sarah Joe belongs to me, brother. So Mulligan has heard Ronnie Bass talking about Blackjack's main squeeze, Miss Sarah Joe Puckett. Even though nobody knows what she looks like, Mulligan says you can say whatever you want about him, but he warns Bass about talking bad about Sarah Joe. Now, she may be plump, she may be missing a few teeth, but Mulligan won't stand by and allow Bass to talk trash on his woman. And this comedy nonsense continues as they continue to discuss someone who clearly doesn't even exist. And you have to wonder, had they went on with this, would we have ever gotten to see Sarah Joe Puckett? I think it's a little too early to dress up a Rosati sister here in 1987 for the part. But we head back to the ring, and it is finally time for the great debate. 
between the former ex-con, number 59919, Ken Patera, and his former manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And before we begin an epic event, we go back in time to recap first the Ken Patera story, as well as the derogative comments made by Bobby Heenan throughout, leading us all to here, right now, in the ring, Mean Gene Okerlund standing by to conduct the first ever professional wrestling debate. And on opposite sides of the ring, there are podiums for Bobby Heenan and Kim Patera to speak at. Gene then explains how the debate will work. He says that both parties will be given time for an opening comment, then they'll be able to state their grievances and rebuttals, and then finally closing comments from both sides. And right now, we're going to go to an edited-for-time version of the opening comments of this debate here between Kim Patera and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Ladies and gentlemen, you are part of history in the making. You are eyewitness to the first ever televised wrestling debate. Before I introduce the principles, I would like to explain the ground rules that will adhere for this debate. First of all, both men will be given equal time for opening comments. They will be given equal time to state their respective cases along with the appropriate rebuttal. And finally, they will be given equal time for closing comments. At this time, I would like to introduce the principles for this debate. To my right, from Beverly Hills, California, Mr. Bobby Heenan. And to my immediate left, former U.S. Olympian from Portland, Oregon, Ken Patera. Gentlemen, I will be keeping time. I'll watch that time very carefully. We will commence with the opening comments. And with that... I'll start. I'll start. Wait a minute. I'll conduct this. I'm going to go first. For For opening comments, we will start with you, Mr. Heenan. You may begin. First of all, it is a disgrace for a man of my stature and what I've accomplished and done in professional wrestling to have to stand in the presence of a man who should be locked away and have the key key thrown away. A man like you. I'm talking to you, ex-con. All right, Mr. Heenan. Now for your opening comments. Mr. Patera, you may begin. Let me tell you something, Heenan. I'm proud to live in a country that when a man makes a mistake, he can pay for it. He can pay his debt to society and leave it all behind him. I paid my debt. And furthermore, I'm proud of my amateur record. I'm proud of the fact that I competed in the Olympic Games in Munich, Germany for the United States of America. I'm also proud of the fact of my professional record. I'm glad to have the opportunity to return to the World Wrestling Federation. All right, I thank you, Mr. Patera. And Bobby gets to open the debate, which means Kim Patera already screwed right out of the starting gate here. Heenan starts off hot, and were you expecting anything else? Emphasizing the use of the word ex-con when referring to Ken Patera. But Patera rebuts trying to leave the past behind him. He's happy to live here in America 
where you can pay your debts to society and move on with your life. Kenny also proud of his amateur record and competing for the United States in the 1972 Munich Olympics. And so we've heard opening comments from both men. Now it's time for both parties to state their cases. First of all, Mr. Heenan, here is your opportunity to state your case. You may begin. You listen up, ex-con, and you listen good. I'm going to tell you something right now that I haven't dreamed of. It's nothing just coming out of my mouth. It is a... Because Patera should be kept behind prison walls. Why? Why should he be kept behind prison walls? It's because Patera is a vicious and violent animal. You don't believe me? Quote, you read it. That's it. That's it. All right, Ken Patera, on the heels of those comments, we're going to give you opportunity for your rebuttal, your retort. Listen here, Heenan. Like I stated before, I'm glad I live in a country that gives a man an opportunity to pay his debt to society. I have paid that debt. I'm through with it. And one other thing that I'm glad I'm through with is you and your weasel family. All right. Mr. Patera, at this juncture, I'm going to give you the opportunity to state your case. Mr. Patera, begin. As I was sitting in prison, weasel, I had a lot of time to think of the Bobby Heenan types of this world. Types like yourself. As I needed moral support, which you granted me, you said that you were going to stand behind me 110%. Nothing was going to go wrong. As I sat in that courtroom during that seven days of trial, you were never there. You never showed your face. Then as I was sitting in the cell, in a prison cell, not one phone call, not one letter, not one visit. You had completely abandoned me, Heenan. When I was down on my luck, wondering what next, he had to have made some kind of contact, maybe with my family. So I called my wife. I talked to my children. Have you heard anything from Bobby? They said, no, not even a phone call, not a letter, nothing. You had completely abandoned me, which was completely against what you had stated earlier. All right, I thank you. Okay, and so this is where we have the infamous bleep of doom, and it goes on for some time. I edited it down quite a bit here to save you guys your sanity. Let me set the visual for you, though. So Bobby Heenan pulls out a piece of paper and begins to read from it, but we don't get to hear it. Rather, we get a lengthy bleep, as you just heard as Bobby reads from said paper, with words scrolling across the bottom of the screen, stating that Heenan's comments were so disgusting, so heinous, is the word they use, that they were censoring him from airing here on TV. However, the bleep ends as Bobby concludes his final sentence from the paper, reading that, and I quote, Patera should remain in prison for being a vicious and violent animal. Before the brain throws the paper at Patera, telling him to read it himself if he doesn't believe it. Patera acting as if he didn't even hear what Bobby Heenan had to say there. It was so heinous that it was bleeped out on TV, but Patera doesn't even respond to it. Instead, it just appears like Patera is responding with what he had planned. Just didn't come off well there for Patera. Didn't even really acknowledge whatever Bobby Heenan said to him. Instead, Ken repeats more of the same stuff again. He's paid his debt. He's moved on. Although he does add in the word weasel this time. 
before blaming Bobby Heenan for never coming to the trial, never coming to visit him in prison, not supporting him whatsoever, never writing a letter, never taking his phone calls, essentially abandoning Ken Patera. So let's go back to that big long bleep just for a second, shall we? So a lot of people have wondered, did Bobby Heenan really say something nasty that couldn't make air? Or did he say nothing really that bad at all and they just added the bleep for the effect? Well, I got another theory here, and I think you guys can see where I'm coming from when I say this. Bobby pulls out this piece of paper and he reads it, and we're not allowed to hear what it says on this paper, but he's clearly reading something that he's gotten from somewhere else. He's not speaking from his own mind, but rather reading something off of a piece of paper. You have to imagine said paper may have been an actual statement written by one of the police officers at Patera's parole hearing in order to try to keep him in prison. Because if you remember, they leave the last sentence in, stating that Patera should remain in prison because he is a violent animal. So my take here is, I, I, I believe this is a shoot letter of some sort that Bobby Heenan read. Either they were not legally allowed to use this letter, or they felt it was just a bit too much. I'm not really sure what the case may be, but in my mind, this letter clearly came, I'm thinking, from the parole hearing of Kim Patera, probably one of the officers that he beat down on that infamous night back in 1984. But the great debate goes on, and now it's time for Bobby Heenan's rebuttal to Patera, as well as closing comments. And now, Mr. Heenan, for your rebuttal. You may start. First of all, ex-con, I want you to get something straight. And you listen up real good. I'm a businessman. I'm not a babysitter. And what you do outside the ring big, big ex-con punk, it's your business, not my business. My job is to get you booked in that ring. And as far as calling your wife and your two snot-nosed kids, I could give a damn. All right, gentlemen, finally we have come to the point in the debate where we're going to give you an opportunity to summate. For your closing comments, we will begin with you, Ken Patera. You may start. Like I stated earlier, Heenan, I'm proud to live in the United States of America. I pay my debt. That's behind me. I'm proud of my amateur record, the blood, sweat, and tears that I poured out in the gym every day to represent the United States of America in the Olympic Games. I'm also proud of my professional record, but there's one thing that I have left to do, something that's going to make me very, very proud, and that is to rid the world of the scum like you, weasel! Mr. Heenan, we're going to allow you time for your closing comments. You may begin. You're not going to walk right up the ladder to the World Wrestling Federation top if i got to get every member of my family and make sure you're mentally, physically, and financially busted. I'll do it. All you ever concerned yourself with was pressing weights, pressing weights. And all you're good for now is pressing license plates. Well, I'll tell you something, pal. You never brought me a championship. You never brought me nothing. All you wanted was a title. All you wanted was a belt. You want a belt? You want a belt? I'll give you a belt. I can't believe it. Bobby the Heenan asked for it. And boy, I'll tell you, he got it. Did you see what Patera did to him? He put the belt around and snapped him across the ring. Look at that. Win. What an elevation. Ken Patera, Bobby the Pain Heenan, will be back. 
Bobby's rebuttal. He's a businessman, not a babysitter. You tell him, Bobby. He calls Patera an ex-con punk, and he explains his job as a manager is to get Patera booked for matches, not worry about Ken's family. Another good point by Bobby Heenan there. Heenan says he doesn't care about Patera, his wife, or his two snot-nosed kids. He could give a damn, says Bobby the Brain Heenan. Really good stuff by Heenan as usual. Of course, Patera again responds, no-sells all of Heenan's awesome verbiage here. Doesn't even address the fact that Bobby called his kid snot-nosed. Instead, Patera once again repeats himself, says he's proud of his amateur past, and he's paid his debt to society. Are you even listening to what Bobby Heenan's saying to you? Feels like Kim Patera talking on a loop here and not even selling or responding to anything that Bobby Heenan's actually saying, and that's a shame because it's been some good stuff. Patera then says he has one thing left to do, and that's to rid the world of the scum like Bobby the Weasel Heenan. As we move on to closing comments, at this point, Bobby Heenan is over this debate and Kim Patera. He says all Ken did before prison was press weights, press weights, and now all he's good for is pressing license plates. I wrote, ha, good line there from Bobby Heenan. Patera never did anything for the brain. He was always chasing belts. Well, if Ken wants a belt so bad, here's a belt. Bobby then yanks his own belt off from around his pants in one fluid motion and begins whipping at the chest of Ken Patera. So awesome watching Bobby Heenan attack Ken Patera out of nowhere. Patera, though, grabs hold of Heenan, yanks him into the corner, and then Ken Patera does the unthinkable, wrapping the belt around the throat of the brain and begins to Irish whip Heenan across the ring with the belt before yanking it back, snapping Bobby Heenan, forcing him to take a crazy bump. Bobby Heenan running full force across the ring. He snapped backwards and takes a backflip bump to really sell the spot here. And Bobby Heenan goes down motionless, his neck possibly broken for all we know at this point, as an extremely angry and raging Ken Patera stands over top of the motionless brain. Yeah, this guy should have been released from prison. I'm starting to wonder if this, uh, this letter was right about this whole vicious animal thing here. But the crowd popped huge for Patera fighting back and that big bump taken by Bobby Heenan there. Great camera work, too, putting over the raging Patera standing over Heenan to end this segment. Now, as for the segment itself, as for the debate, uh, I have no idea if they didn't discuss this debate going in. You'd have to imagine they, they had some bullet points, but, but Heenan just owns Patera here with amazing verbiage and, and equally amazing emotion. The anger, the hate coming from Bobby Heenan here was classic Bobby, selling an angle that he's involved in to the highest degree. Meanwhile, on the other end, Patera, very stoic in his facials and delivery of his lines throughout, repeating the same thing over and over without little change in his wording. And yes, I know, Bobby Heenan is going to out-talk almost anyone he's in there with, but this was just two completely different levels. But the fans, they hate Bobby Heenan so much that they pop for the angle at the end anyway, which again, Bobby Heenan sold awesomely. So on paper, this sounded fun, and Bobby Heenan can get anything over, if you ask me. But Patera is just not a babyface. He doesn't come across as a babyface. I like the story they're trying to tell here, but Patera did himself no favors on the mic. And with Bobby Heenan down on the mat, we head into a commercial. Then back from break, we see the brain being taken out on a stretcher. I wonder what the Heenan family will have to say about that. But we head back to the ring. One more match here this week. Wow, listen to this. 
It's the adorable Adrian Adonis. It's the first time we're seeing Adonis since WrestleMania 3. Still accompanied by manager Jimmy Hart, Adonis' opponent this week, Jake the Milkman Milliman. Prior to the match, we see highlights from WrestleMania 3, a beefcake shaving the head of the adorable one. Then to the ring, Adonis' first match on TV since the haircut. We wonder how he's going to look. Adrian arrives in his old black robe and a brunette buzz cut. As we get an insert promo from Jimmy Hart, he says anyone who laughs at Adrian Adonis will be handled. Beefcake is in trouble. Then to the ring for action, Jake Milliman hooks a headlock and has fun rubbing the bald head of Adrian Adonis, but all that does is upset the adorable one. Adonis gets pissed off and proceeds to maul the milkman, tossing him around the ring by his beard before putting him away with goodnight Irene, the sleeper hold, in just one minute and seven seconds. So while this marks the return of Adrian Adonis to the ring after WrestleMania 3, sadly, this also marks the final TV appearance of Adonis here in the World Wrestling Federation. It's unfortunate because they finally had something fresh here for Adonis to play off of, and Beefcake is clearly over. But in reality, Adonis was fired five days before this match even aired. Now he'd eventually pop up in the AWA after this, but unfortunately Adrian would be involved in an auto accident just over a year later and passed away on July 4th, 1988, while wrestling for a promotion in Newfoundland, Canada. You know, Adonis may be the first mainstream name from my era that I recall hearing pass away. It was certainly a surprise, very unfortunate, and my heart goes out to the Adonis family, the Keith Frank family, who still to this day very much so miss their patriarch. But the show rolls on, Mean Gene Okerlund. Yep, he's back again this time, Mr. Fuji, along with Demolition. All right, Mr. Fuji, come on in. The veteran Mr. Fuji from Osaka, Japan. Mr. Fuji, I think you're going a little too far with that paint on your face. No, everybody know Mr. Fuji has devil in him. And Mr. Fuji is thinking, imagine, have two opponents. Throw water on top body. Tie them together on three. Get battery cable. Battery cable? Yeah. And you clip one hand out of hand. Open hood of engine, put one to positive, one to negative. Turn engine. <laughs> yeah, I know how much they will roast. Huh? That, that's, ah, I'll tell you what. Oh, come in, my team. That is you shocking. See all this. There they are. Yeah. Are these two gentlemen incredible? They are the demolition yeah. axe and smash. First of all, let's start with you, Axe. That's right. The reason why we are here oh, is to beat people up. And Gene, it might be you. And it might be you. It doesn't matter where we are all over the world. Any night, any day, it doesn't matter if it's in the parking lot or the airport. We do what we do best. And when Fuji smiles at us, we demolish people. Isn't that right, Axe? All we have to do to be successful in professional wrestling is listen to our manager, <laughs> Fuji-san. All we have to do in professional wrestling to be successful is continue to hurt people, continue to step on them, punch them, kick them, grind them. And when we're finished, maybe we'll go and get the battery cables. Maybe we'll go and get a whip. It's not sick if you're successful. It's not sick if you're championship material. It's not sick when you can do anything you want to do. And you look at the pretty boys like the bees, the Can-Ams. 
Look this. Very good, Pacha. You know all these people come around and they say, it took me this, it took me that to wake up. We woke up every morning wanting to kick somebody's teeth in. We wake up every day hoping that Fuji gets us a match with the prettiest, the fastest, the best conditioned athletes in the country. Because when we beat them, we, we enjoy it. <laughs> what do you mean you mess them up? What are you talking about? What are you insinuating? Oh, if you look at their faces now, and then after they face us, you don't know who they are anymore. Isn't that right? Thank, thank you, Mr. Fuji. Thank you, Demolition. Smash it. Whatever. I'll tell you, you got to forget it with that battery cable. That's sick. That is pretty good. All right, good. Thank you. The Demolition, their manager, Mr. Fuji. Alrighty, and Fuji there talking about connecting jumper cables from the car battery to their opponent's nipples or, or balls or something. He is sick, says Gene Okerlund. I might concur. Demolition on the right track now with the devious one as their manager, no doubt about that. As we close out this week's edition of Superstars, we learn that next week, one-on-one, it'll be Bret Hart of the Hart Foundation taking on the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith, both men standing by with their respective partners for their comments. Well, let's hear from the hitman after which we'll hear pre-recorded comments from Davey Boy. Everybody thinks the Bulldogs are so great. Everybody thinks Davey Boy's so tough. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get Davey Boy Smith one-on-one, and this half of the Heart Foundation is going to whip <laughs> Davey Boy Smith from one end of the ring to the other because he's not good enough to ever come close to Heart Foundation. He's not even close to being one half of the world tag team champions. <laughs> I just can't wait for next week because David Boy Smith has got Brett, the Hitman Hurt, one on one. Hitman Hurt, you might have Jim, Jim the Anvil Nida in your corner. I've got the Dynamite Kid. You might have Jimmy Hurt in your corner. And we've got Matilda. That's all the British Bulldogs need. Davey Boy against the Hitman, a picture match next week here on the Superstars of Wrestling. Davey Boy says the Hitman might have Neidhart and Jimmy Hart in his corner. But Davey will have Dynamite and Matilda with him. And so even after Saturday night's main event, it looks like the Bulldogs' hearts feud will carry on. And if Dynamite was 100% healthy, this would have made for an amazing 1987. And as we end this episode of Superstars, you have to call Brutus Beefcake's new barber gimmick a success, at least for the short term. Killer Khan returns to add to the heel roster. The Can-Am's clearly over enough for a tag team title run. An insane macho man is clearly the best macho man, and Bobby Heenan deserves a trophy for his delivery in the debate with Kim Patera. I just don't know how long Ken can hold up his end of this thing. As we move on to WWF Wrestling Challenge for May the 3rd. back April 24th, New Haven, Connecticut at the Coliseum. It's Gorilla Monsoon and George the Animal Steel as guest commentator this week. George Steele filling in for an injured Bobby the Brain Heenan. You'll have to see how this one goes. Gorilla Monsoon and George Steele on commentary. As we head to the ring, it's the Intercontinental Champion, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, ready to take on Terry Gibbs. 
as Gibbs gives Steamer a sucker knee to the gut to get things going and tosses the dragon over the top rope. But the dragon holds on to the top rope and skins the cat back inside, hooking Gibbs in a head scissors and taking him over the top to the outside instead. Gorilla tries to work George Steele into the commentary, but it's just... No. Actually, Monsoon makes it work, but to me, still, no. Back to the action, Steamboat counters Gibbs and sends him into the ring post on the floor, but back inside, Terry takes over with an inverted atomic drop and a neckbreaker. But the dragon battles back and finishes Gibbs off with the flying top rope tomahawk chop, or perhaps a karate chop here from the dragon. Either way, Ricky Steamboat gets the win 4 minutes and 22 seconds. Mel Phillips introduces the winner as Intercontinental Champion, Randy, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And after the Macho Man spent over a year as champion, I get the mistake, Mel. And you know, after watching this match, Steamboat likes to sell for his opponents, which is fine, but as Intercontinental Champion now, I'd like to see him win his squash matches a little more handily. Terry Gibbs controlled quite a bit of this matchup. But the program goes on to wrestlers rebuttal. Craig DeGeorge, standing by with Jimmy Hart and the adorable Adrian Adonis. All right, with me right now, the mouth of the South, of course, Jimmy Hart, and a somewhat less adorable Adrian what do you Adonis. Mean less adorable? Beefcake, this is no laughing matter, and you're going to pay for this. They should have stopped Hitler in Munich. They should have stopped Adonis at Wrestling 3 in Detroit. You had those clippers across my head. You had them at my mercy. You could have whizzed my throat. You didn't. You don't have the guts I do. I was getting it on. I have more shower time than you do wrestling time. Anybody that gets in my way, not only you, Brutus, is going to go down for the count. And good night, Irene. Don't you dare miss it. I just spell wrestling A-D-O-N-I-S. All right, we saw Adonis's final match on Superstars. Now we get his final promo here on Wrestling Challenge. Adonis says that Brutus Beefcake couldn't do the job and slit his throat with the scissors at WrestleMania 3. Dear God, Adrian. Well, Beefcake, you didn't get the job done, but Adrian says that he will. How do you spell wrestling? A-D-O-N-I-S. And well, Adrian, you'll have to spell unemployment F-I-R-E-D. Unfortunately, the adorable one will never get his revenge on Brutus Beefcake here. In the WWF, as we head back to the ring, six-man tag team action, the natural Butch Reed teaming with the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Slick in their corner, taking on the trio of Siviafi, Leaping Lanny Poffo, and Mario Mancini. And right away, I want to say RIP to the late Lanny Poffo, criminally underrated in the genius character. Here, Lanny reads a poem about Kim Patera going weasel hunting on Bobby the Brain Heenan. We also get a pre-match slick on the microphone in the ring, calling Hacksaw Jim Duggan a coward and says that Nikolai Volkov will sing the Russian anthem whenever and wherever he wants, including right now. As Nikolai goes to sing the anthem, Hacksaw Duggan arrives at ringside and literally cuts the cord. Yes, Hacksaw Jim Duggan with a pair of wire cutters cuts the microphone cord as the heels speak into the dead microphone, confused as to why it's not working. Duggan sells it on the outside with a comical face right into the camera. So Duggan clearly gotten into this cartoony shit pretty fast here. And I mean that both as a compliment and as criticism. As the match gets going, the trio of heels attack their opponents, dumping Mancini and Afi to the floor while working over Lanny Poffo in the ring. Soon after, it's Afi's turn to take a beating before we hear Reed blatantly and loudly calling a spot for Afi to tag to Mario Mancini. And then we see Afi tag to Mario Mancini. And then it's the natural butchery with a press slam on Mancini before the Iron Sheik tags in. Sheiky baby looking for the camel clutch, but Mancini was getting up. Little miscommunication there. So what happens? Sheiky 
with a big back suplex. Mancini won't get up this time. The camel clutch puts Mario Mancini away. Two minutes and 38 seconds. And we're showing a replay again of Duggan's shenanigans on the outside, cutting the cord as the heels are confused inside. And uh, lucky for the natural, Butch Reed getting lumped into these matches just to get some TV time, you'd have to think. But this was all about the evil foreign war between Hacksaw Duggan and those commies, Sheik and Volkoff. Tough guy. As the show rolls on, it's off to Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with Jacques and Raymond, the Rougeau brothers. They're fabulous, you know. All right, stay tuned. More exciting World Wrestling Federation action coming up in just a moment or two. One of the more prominent tag teams, and believe you me, we've got a ton of them right now in the World Wrestling Federation. One of the best I've seen. They are from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Come on in, gentlemen. Jacques and Raymond Rougeau, the Rougeau brothers. And gentlemen, we talk about the, the hot tag team situation we have in the World Wrestling Federation right now. Raymond, it is red hot. Well, you know, that's true, Mean Gene. It is red hot. But you know, my brother and I are red hot for one reason. It's because we're after Bravo and Valentine. You know, Mean Gene, after what happened with Bravo double-crossing us on WrestleMania, the only thing my brother and I have had on our mind is getting our hands around Dino Bravo's neck and wringing it a few times. So, Jimmy, tell him what we're going to do with Bravo and Valentine when we get our hands on them. You know, Jacques, the one thing I should point out, though, before we get into that, you told me all about this even before WrestleMania 3, so I don't think as it came as a real big surprise to you. Well, you know, Mean Gene, the most important thing now is you look at the Rougeau brothers, you're looking at a new team. I personally, with my brother, have been running three to five miles every day. Dino Bravo, you did something across 27 countries around the world on giant screen. You did something that we were so embarrassed, we went back home at the airport and still fans came up to us and they said, Jacques and Raymond, you didn't lose that match because Bravo put his nose in there. But we wanted to represent Quebec well. We have a home and we're proud of it. And Bravo, you cost us something prestigious, the biggest event we'll ever participate in. Now, Bravo, you're going to face us again, and you have Valentine with you. Well, my brother and I are ready. Anytime, any place, just show your face, guys. And like I said, you're going to see a new Rougeau team, and this time there's going to be no mercy, Mean Gene, for nobody out there. All right, I thank you very much, Jacques and Raymond of Rougeau's. They've got action coming up with the new Dream Team. All right, the Rougeau's after Dino Bravo for costing them their match at WrestleMania three. Nothing really to see here in a Rougeau promo, so it's back to the ring instead. The King, Harley Race, no Bobby Heenan in his corner. Remember, Heenan's selling that neck injury from Kim Patera. Harley Race going to go one-on-one with Nelson Valu. As we get an insert promo here from Harley Race, he's gunning for the WWF title and the champion, Hulk Hogan. Then back in the ring, Race with a nice high knee, and then the patented Harley Race knee drop, power slam, and a cradle suplex. No bridge. The King, Harley Race, scoring the win here in just 41 seconds. And I haven't figured out if Harley's matches are quick to sell him as a credible challenger for Hulk Hogan or if he just doesn't want to do much in the ring. Either way, Harley rules. As we're back to Mean Gene yet again, this time standing by with one of the many managers here in the WWF, it's the Doctor of Style, Slick. All right, hi again, everybody. Mean Gene Oakland here, bringing you up to date on the latest happenings in the World Wrestling Federation. Certainly a man that has established himself as a premier manager in the World Wrestling Federation has got to be my guest at this time. He is one of the best attired. Wait a minute. I'm missing a hood ornament off my car. Where did you get that, Slick? Hey, brother. I like what you've done with your hair. Listen, let me tell you something. You said it correct when you said I am the premier. You said the, didn't you? One of the... You said the. I know what you said. Just be quiet. Don't say nothing else. 
Let me tell you something, but foremost on my list for 1987 is you, Tito Santana. You know, right there in Pontiac, Michigan, in front of 93,000 plus people, I was the most humiliated man in the entire state. He, he did humiliate you, didn't he? That's right. And you know, I'm not one to give any credit to you, Santana, but you tore a $2,300 tuxedo off me, brother. But you know what? I did my part, baby, because I came back. I'm here looking as good as only I can look, as always. But let me tell you something. If it's the last thing I do, you pepper-eating red. Please, watch it. I'm going to drive this man out of professional wrestling. I'm going to see to it, and I'm going to do through one unique tool, and that's the natural butch reed. What have you been doing, Slick? You're keeping the natural butch reed under wraps. Where's the guy at? Don't worry about butch reed. Santana... You worry about Butch Reed, because he's the man that's going to ultimately destroy you, brother. Let me ask you a question. Where'd you pick up this suit? Why don't you ask your big sister? Oh, okay. I thought he got it out of some guy's trunk. I didn't know. Anyway, Slick, the doctor of style, the manager of the natural Butch Reed, one of the greats here in the World Wrestling Federation. We're going to be right back. All right, Slick walking into the set with a chain and a charm, a Mercedes-Benz charm on a big necklace here. Gene saying... He knew he was missing his hood ornament, implying that Slick had stolen it. Slick talks wanting Tito Santana after what he did to the Doctor of Style at WrestleMania 3, ripping up his $2,300 tuxedo. Slick refers to Tito Santana as a pepper-eating red, meaning Gene cuts him off. So you'll have to wonder where Slick was going with that one. Slickster promises that Butch Reed will take Tito Santana out. So that feud will continue on the house shows. It will continue on with the action back in the ring. It's the British Bulldogs with Bulldog Matilda taking on the team of Rick Gantner and Rocky Stone. Gantner, the future Bull Payne, also one half of the Texas Hangman. I believe he was psycho. We get an insert promo from Tag Team Champion Heart Foundation teasing the Bulldogs by showing off their Tag Team Championship belts. Back in the ring, they spin over the first minute of the match, tying Matilda up on the outside or whatever they do with her during their matches. Finally, they get back in the ring to start off the action as Davey is in most of the way here and looks great. Dynamite tags in and barely follows through with a standing clothesline and hits a snap suplex on Gantner that's just really hard to watch. Barely gets Rick over in the suplex. Dynamite kind of turning to the side in order to get Gantner to take the bump. No business in the ring whatsoever here is the Dynamite Kid, and I feel like I say that every week, but it's true. And then after a pair of moves by Dynamite, Davey Boy right back in. Rocky Stone climbs to the top rope in order to save his partner, but Davy Boy catches Stone on the top rope, pressing him off on top of Gantner, and then Smith with the running power slam on Rick Gantner. The Bulldogs will get the win 2 minutes and 47 seconds, and it is painfully obvious Dynamite is not ready to be back in the ring, if he ever was. He's relegated to doing next to nothing here, and it's really just hard to watch when you know what's going on. Yet somehow, the Bulldogs are plugged into the tag team title feud, of all things. As we're off to a most interesting edition of the Snake Pit, Jake Roberts guest this week, Dangerous Danny Davis. As Davis cockily struts onto the set, Jake the Snake teasing him, throwing a snake in his face repeatedly, but to Danny's credit, he doesn't really sell it nearly as much as most of Jake's other opponents. Jake informs Davis that your past can come back to haunt you, But Danny shrugs it off, citing that he's on his way to becoming one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Danny Davis asks, who wants a piece of him? Name one. Enter Tito Santana in a suit. 
taking that dress code very seriously here. Santana ain't going to be the next one fired over a dress code violation. Tito says he's going to kick Danny's butt to hell and back, or something along those lines. But it doesn't end there. Out next, Coco Beware out as well, says Danny Davis is hiding behind the Hart Foundation and is a scared, no-good scoundrel. Both Tito and Coco want a piece of the former referee and promise to teach him a lesson in the ring. Arriba! Oh, yeah! Jake says Davis is like a man in an electric chair. You know someone's going to pull the switch. You just don't know which one's going to do it. Great line there from the snake man. So they're still throwing heat on Danny Davis here, even though it's just Tito and Coco. They're getting over that people just can't stand the former referee and they want to put him in his place. So they've got something going on for Danny Davis. And let's not forget more to come here with Dangerous Danny later in this episode. We'll talk about that when we get there. But for now, we head back to the ring. The challenge was laid out and accepted last week. It's time for the Can-Am Connection to take on the team of Kamala and Sika, the wild Samoan accompanied to the ring by Mr. Fuji and Kim Shi. Last week, Fuji insulted the pretty boy Can-Am, saying that Kamala and Sika would turn them into Frankenstein face. Now, Fuji... Frankenstein was actually the doctor, not the monster, but nevertheless, the Can-Ams issued a challenge later in the show, and Fuji accepted on behalf of his men, stating that Sika would rip off their faces and Kamala would eat them. So we'll have to see if that comes to fruition here. As the match gets going, the heels jump the Can-Ams and work over Tom Zink briefly before Zink moves out of the way of a charging Kamala, who nails his partner Sika instead. And then it's a quick tag to Rick Martel, who dropkicks Kamala from behind over the top rope and out of the ring, Martel then working over Sika the Samoan as he tags back into Tom Zink, who eats a chop to the throat and a headbutt from Sika as the heels take over in their corner. Kamala with a questionably low thrust kick to Tom Zink, maybe right in the testicular area. Gorilla calls it considerably low. As the heels continue to dominate the American portion of the Can-Ams, Zink, though, fires back on Sika, and eventually we see a hot tag to Rick Martel, who comes in a house of fire, but it breaks down pretty quickly into a four-way melee with Sika and Martel colliding center ring and Ricky getting dumped out to the floor. The heels then double-team Zink down to the mat, Sika holding Tom down as Kamala looks to come running off the ropes with a big splash, but as Kamala hits the ropes, he's tripped up from the outside by Rick Martel. Whoa, and Martel almost missed that cue there. But he got there just in time, Martel tripping up Kamala, causing Sika to pop up off the mat, walking over to Rick Martel in the corner. But as Rick Martel climbs to the top rope, Sika randomly backs up and allows Martel to come off the top rope with a flying body block, which gets the win for the Can-Ams in 4 minutes and 19 seconds as the crowd goes berserk. But post-match, the heels attack and again drop Tom Zink to the mat, Sika holding Zink down yet again as this time Kamala connects with the big splash on top of Zink. Then Kamala, not done yet, going up to the top rope, looking to finish Zink off once and for all with that top rope splash. We've seen many a wrestler carried out on a stretcher after this one, but Rick Martel back up, returns with Mr. Fuji's cane and chases the heels off out of the ring to save his partner. All right, so wait a minute. Martel gets the offense. Zink gets beat down. Martel gets the hot tag. Then single-handedly wins the match and runs the heels off. Okay, works for me. The Can-Am's on fire here with the crowd and pick up another big win on TV. You don't get wins like this on TV if they don't have something special planned. It's clear the connection on a direct path 
to the WWF tag team titles after the Hearts Bulldogs feud subsides. And the only thing that can stop the momentum of the Can Am connection at this point would be if one of them was nuttier than squirrel turds and walked out on giant money at the peak of pro wrestling's 1980s boom period. But nobody is that stupid, or are they? The action continues here on Wrestling Challenge. It's Outlaw Ron Bass taking on Rick Hunter. As we get a generic insert promo here from the Outlaw saying how big and bad he is. The Outlaw has arrived here in the WWF. We also learn on commentary that co-host George Steele will face the Honky Tonk Man. Here next week on Wrestling Challenge, the animal thinks it's good. Back to the action. The Outlaw wins with his version of the pedigree in just a mere 56 seconds. You ask, what is his version of the pedigree? Well, imagine Triple H hitting the pedigree without doing the double underhook with the arms, just dropping down to your knees. That was Outlaw Ron Bass's finisher here. So throwaway match to fill time at the end of the show. Bass has stopped using Mulligan's finisher, the flying back elbow, and Gorilla Monsoon mentioned Blackjack on commentary, but Bass didn't mention him in his promo, so that feud is all but done at this point. Sorry, guys, no Sarah Joe Puckett for you. Challenge continues on. We go back to Mean Gene Oakland. This time, he's back with one of the hottest new heels here in the World Wrestling Federation. It's the Honky Tonk Man and his manager, the Colonel, Jimmy Hart. You people know me, and of course, I'm, I'm not one to really hand out compliments to somebody that I don't particularly care for throw out the accolades but jimmy moth of the south heart if you join me please you know, I, <laughs> I told you, you so <laughs> get on my nerves i don't like the way you dress certainly i don't like a lot of the things you do but you did tell me last year that ultimately the heart foundation would become the tag team champions of the world and indeed they did that you know everybody laughed at jimmy Hart when i predicted that you laughed a lot of the promoters laughed and most of all the fans they all laughed at jimmy Hart. but we are the world champions if you want us come and get us <laughs> i don't know what you're gonna do with this guy he's got himself in a lot of hot he's water great, baby. he is from memphis tennessee also the honky tonk man and welcome back mm, i'm glad to be back you know the honky tonk man you're talking about not liking people the honky tonk man wants to say this i want to say this to the whole world and especially to you jake the snake the honky-tonk man don't have anything against you at all. I, 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 I don't feel anything against Jake the Snake. I don't know why he wants to do the things he does to me. He makes fun of the honky-tonk man. He tried to rip my clothes off of me. He tore my guitar up. He won't let the honky-tonk man sing his song. And that's all I want to do for the fans of the World Wrestling Federation is sing my song. You know, what did you ever have against Elvis Presley, honky-tonk? I told you before, I don't know the man. I, 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 people always say that to me. They come up to me wanting autographs. They say, oh, Elvis Presley, we want, we want your autograph. You look like Elvis Presley. I don't know who that is. Why don't you leave the man resting in peace? You dress exactly like him. You imitate him all the time. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm thinking about Jake the Snake Roberts. That's what's on my mind. I, I think it's a disgrace to the memory of Elvis Presley. I don't think it's a disgrace to do anything you want to do in the United States of America or anywhere in the world because that's what freedom's all about, freedom of expression. And I'm trying to express myself, and Jake the Snake Roberts will not let me do it. You're running around the country. You're running around the world with this little twerp back here. And, of course, uh, Thelma Lou, your girlfriend. Peggy Sue. Now, look, see, you're trying to make fun. Everybody wants to make fun of the honky-tonk man. And you saw, and the whole world saw what happened to Jake the Snake Roberts for making fun of me. You get to wear one of these right here, and you see Jake the Snake. I got another one that looks just like the one you busted up. Because you just keep breaking them, son. Take him away from the honky-tonk man and tear him up. And Peggy Sue, that's her name, 
She said, Honky Tonk Man, we got a boxcar load of them for you. Let Jake the Snake tear them up all he wants, and we'll keep replenishing it. You, oh, she's going to give them to me anytime I want them. You, you're still driving that 1959 pink Cadillac? You better believe I'm driving. And every time I get on the freeway, I got the colonel in the back, and I got Peggy Sue up real close to me, and we ride the streets, and we listen to the radio, and we think about you, Jake the Snake. We think about what we're going to do to you, and we think about our number one hit song. That's all right, Honky Tonk Mama. <laughs> Boy. Are they a pair to draw to? Stay tuned, we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Honky's still selling it like he had no idea who Elvis Presley is or was. Has no idea why people keep coming up to him, comparing him to this Elvis guy. Honky shows off his guitar and he says, this is what happens when you make fun of him. Obviously referencing the tune he played on Jake Roberts. Really good heel stuff here from Honky Talk Man. Very natural fit for him. The gimmick was getting over way quicker and a lot more than I think anyone could have imagined, even Vince McMahon. I think this upcoming Saturday night's main event is really the turning point for the character, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. As the show goes on, we learn that next week, the Demolition will take on the Rougeau brothers, and of course, the Honky Tonk Man battling George the Animal Steel as well. Plus, we'll get replays of Beefcake versus Johnny V and the great debate from Superstars. As we head off to a promo yet again from the Honky Tonk Man, this time he's discussing George the Animal Steel, he turns his guitar upside down and says he might be able to knock some sense into that animal. And that's it this week from Wrestling Challenge, and the brain will be back next week, so anything you'd like to add, George, before we go? Bye-bye. Bye-bye indeed. Bye-bye indeed. My synopsis of challenge here this week, George Steele on commentary wasn't as bad as you'd think. Wasn't very good either. I definitely missed Bobby Heenan, but it makes sense that he had to sell the injury from Ken Patera, even missing Harley Race's match earlier on in the program. Now, when I saw Danny Davis enter the snake pit this week, I was optimistic, but figured we'd probably see a weak segment here. However, Davis surprised me. He's really growing on me as a heel. And he plays it well here. It comes off very well. I actually like this edition of the Snake Pit with Dangerous Danny Davis, Tito Santana, and Coco Beware. We also saw the Can-Am Connection go over on Kamala and Sika, a monster heel team here on TV. The Can-Ams over Fuji's duo equals big things ahead for Rick Martell and Tom Zink. And I always get a chuckle out of this particular spot this week. We saw with Hacksaw Jim Duggan literally cutting the microphone wire. Haven't seen this clip in years. And it still made me smile when I went back and watched it here this week. That said, this whole America versus evil foreigners feud is becoming a weekly storyline now. And just they're not giving enough time to let it breathe. No room to let it breathe here. It's just back to back to back to back weeks. Really, the only thing going on on TV in succession here since WrestleMania 3. And I get that they want to escalate Duggan's character to that of a semi-main eventer or a B-show main eventer right away. But they're walking a fine line here for overkill at least with me. So overall, you got the Can-Am connection, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brutus Beefcake, Hacksaw Duggan, all really over post-WrestleMania 3. I've caught that much from the fans. Then on the other end, Honky Talk Man, the next hot heel. It's becoming very obvious very fast. And with the past four weeks of TV being taped prior to WrestleMania 3, 
It has taken the WWF five weeks to kick things back into gear here after WrestleMania, but we're starting to get there again. I'm feeling it. Lots of new talent, lots of guys getting over, whether it's the relatively new Can-Ams or the Duggan debut, Beefcake and Jake the Snake turning babyface on the other end, Hockey Tonk Man turns heel and he is getting heat like crazy. You add to that all the big names heading into the company over the summer, it's going to be a fun ride as we continue on here in 1987. And speaking of continuing on, we're going to do that right now. We're going to head on to WWF Primetime Wrestling for May the 4th. Hosted this week by Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the... No, wait, that's not Bobby. That's his lordship, Lord Alfred Hayes. Co-hosting primetime this week with Gorilla Monsoon. No doubt Bobby Heenanoff selling the effects of the altercation with Kim Patera at the debate. Sitting this week out is the brain. And because of that, coupled with the fact that we're coming out of Saturday night's main event, yet they won't discuss that until next week. So this edition of primetime is another one of those throwaway episodes with lots of outdated matches, most of them taking place back in 1986. Though I'll give them this much. Remember last week, we saw the Islanders featured everywhere on Superstars, on Wrestling Challenge. They got a win on Primetime. Well, again, this week on Primetime, they do make sure to feature the Islanders yet again, this week scoring a big victory in a tag team battle royal that was recorded back last October in Madison Square Garden. So they continue to push the Islanders here on TV whether you realize it or not. And even though Bobby Heenan isn't participating in this edition of Primetime Wrestling, he manages to find his way on the show by phoning in. Let's take a listen. Shirley, go ahead. It's certainly looking Hello. forward to getting a crack at the World's Heavyweight Championship. Hello. Currently, Who is this? This is Alfred Hayes oh. speaking. Alfred His Lordship. It's the brain. Oh. I demand to speak to Monsoon right now. Uh, just one moment. It's a call for you. Yeah, I, I know who to... Hello. Monsoon? Hey, Weeze, how you doing? Not Weeze, how you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing airing a show without me there to host? No one is indispensable, Brain. What do you mean no one's indispensable? This program was scheduled to air at this particular point in time, whether you're here or I'm here or anybody's here, and we can get along quite nicely without you, or they can Maybe probably get along so, without me. short order cook there from some English restaurant, probably delivering fish and chips up and down the street, and you found them. Please, are you referring to Lord Alfred Hayes, one of the uh, standouts here in the World Wrestling Federation? How is your neck, incidentally? What are you going to do next? You're going to have Patera sitting in there for me? Or well, could you uh, find a nice cot for him to sit on? Well, maybe, maybe we could arrange that, uh, being that you're just hanging around, so to speak. I'm not just hanging around. I'm waiting for my neural surgeon to arrive from Europe so I can get a proper diagnosis on my neck. Well, what is it? The cervical vertebrae area or what? Yes, it's in the back of my neck. Yeah, the transverse process or... Keep it simple for the people, I understand you, but keep it simple for them. Please, give me a break. I, I think that you're just weasel-bricking. There's more damage there than that. I know my neck was almost broken by that ex-con. Well, uh, he certainly hung you out to dry, Brain. Uh, sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut. 
I don't know what you're referring to. I, he asked for the debate. I didn't ask for the debate. Well, weren't you the one who, in fact, you were the one who just attacked him with a belt. Give me a break. In your right mind, you wouldn't do that. It was, it was a bad enough I had to stand there and take that oral abuse from some miserable ex-con. But yes, I, I lost my composure, sure. But that's no reaction for him to put that thing around my neck and practically decapitate me. Well, it's a general sense of, of opinion around here consensus of opinion that you got exactly what you deserved and you were put on this earth for one purpose to be a horrible example well let me tell you something right now put on the director of that show i want them to rerun some cartoon capers or something <laughs> put something else on there you i mean, want the show stopped right now you mean you want some more exposure oh show you want some additional exposure let me tell you something. Carson finds a co-host, and I'm a lot better than Carson. Letterman finds a co-host. I'm better than Letterman. I want this show stopped right now. I'm going to have to get my attorneys and staff. I'll go right to K. I'll go to whoever I have to. Why don't you just do that? Well, I will then if you're going to be like that. Well, yeah, I'm going to be like that. Now yell back into the control and wake those ham and eggers up. I want this show taken off the air right now. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Did he, he hung up on us, Alfred. Oh, we'll be back with Demolition in a moment. All right, Bobby Heenan just shocked that primetime was even on the air this week, playing it off as if it's live, because he presumed the show would be preempted until he was healthy enough to return. Oh, that Bobby Heenan. It's really the only soundbite we have this week for primetime wrestling. And again, they don't really address what took place at Saturday night's main event. We'll cover all of that on the next edition of Primetime Wrestling. Heenan also does make mention here on this phone conversation that he will be returning to primetime next time around. So thanks for coming, Lord Alfred Hayes. Now, you guys might be wondering, wait a minute. Why are they taking their big show Monday nights in primetime on the USA Network and showing a bunch of canned matches that took place a year ago? Well, that's a good question. Remember, we're coming out of Saturday night's main event. It's likely the show was taped prior to the weekend. So it's kind of a placeholder here this week. And you got to remember, back in 1987, only 48% of American homes had cable TV. Think about that. 48%. That's just under half. That means the guy that lives next door to your left and your right probably didn't have cable back then if you did. So you take a look at this for a second. Reportedly, there were 88.8 .8 million homes in America back in 1987. So that's just under 43 million that had cable. 48%. Remember that, guys. So back in my day, and yes, I went there, for those who grew up in the Raw era only, the big shows back in the 80s and, and really even into the 90s were the syndicated programs on the weekend. So primetime wrestling was not the A show. It wasn't even the B show. It was the C show at best. Now, I loved it growing up. I loved watching the banter each and every week between Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I was heartbroken when they took them off the show in favor of that TNT-esque version that Vince created in 1991. And yes, by the time Raw came around, it was just time to move on. I'm not going to argue that. But once upon a time, Superstars was your A show. The syndicated shows were the go-to shows. That's where the storylines happened. Primetime was just supplemental. You got your house show matches, your occasional quote-unquote exclusive match, and then replays or recaps from the weekend edition of Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. Now, with all of that said and all of that out of the way, that concludes the weekend of television for the WWF, or does it? I wouldn't leave you guys hanging. We're going to go back to Saturday, May the 2nd. In fact, Saturday night, to be exact, in the WWF Saturday night's main event program on the NBC network. 
taped just a few days prior, April the 28th, South Bend, Indiana at the Joyce Athletic and Convocation Center in front of 9,345 fans. Let's head off to Saturday night's main event. Yes, it is time, guys, for another installment. In fact, the 11th installment of the WWF's Saturday Night's Main Event on NBC, airing May 2nd, taped just four days prior, April 28th, South Bend, Indiana. Well, Notre Dame to be exact. Featuring plenty of big action, including Kamala, the Ugandan giant, or excuse me, the Ugandan headhunter, taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. Special surprise there in that match for Jake the Snake. Also, the brawl to end it all. The feud will conclude here on Saturday Night's Main Event when the Macho Man Randy Savage takes on George the Animal Steel one final time, this time in a lumberjack match. 15 wrestlers surrounding the ring to make sure this match has a conclusion. Also on the card, the British Bulldogs are given their return match against the current WWF Tag Team Champion Heart Foundation. This one, the best two out of three falls. Also, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat defending his IC championship for the very first time here, taking on the mighty Hercules and the Can-Am Connection, also slated for action, taking on the team of Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, and I hear rumors that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is in the building, so you know what that means. So kick back and relax as we head off to yet another edition of the WWF's Saturday Night's Main Event. Enjoy. Oh yeah! Remember when George the Animal Steel kidnapped my manager, Elizabeth? And did you see how that hairy ape cost me my World Wrestling Federation title against Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3? Well, tonight's the night, yeah. The last confrontation, one-on-one. Fifteen of the strongest men in the world surrounding the ring in lumberjack fashion. No escape. Only one man will survive, and that man is the macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, I will survive. Yeah! A man like the Macho Man never learns. That's why I, the Dragon, wear the championship belt. And for the first time tonight, I will defend it against Hercules. Watch the Dragon melt his chains. Yeah! We're the Heart Foundation, and we're sick and tired of those crown baby British Bulldogs saying that we cheated them out of the WWF Tag Team titles. So tonight, they get the title rematch that they say they yes. dreamed about. But what they'll really get is a nightmare. Hi, <laughs> 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 right, folks. I'm Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I'm proud to be an American. And tonight, I got a ringside seat. And if that commie, Nikolai Volkov, tries to sing that Russian national anthem, well, I'll show him what cracked. The Liberty Bell, tough guy. Listen up, all you humanoids. 
This is Bobby the Brain Heenan talking. And with me is the eighth wonder of the world, still undefeated, the heavyweight champion of the world, Andre the Giant. And I'm going to show everybody how this man in WrestleMania 3 in Pontiac, Michigan, defeated that miserable excuse for a champion, Hulk Hogan, right in the middle of that ring. Because I've got film footage here to prove it. I am the champion. All you Hulkamaniacs out there know who won at WrestleMania 3. Andre the Giant knows. Bobby Heenan knows. The whole world knows. I met the giant enemy, and he was all mine. And tonight, exclusively on Saturday night's main event, I'll show you how I faced the greatest challenge of my career. in your life you're right and i just might let you keep your job we got two titles on the line as well as a brutal and very final lumberjack match between animal steel and macho man savage and for the first time anywhere champion hulk hogan and andre the giant will take a look back at their title match which brought the world to a standstill at wrestlemania 3 all right and as you guys heard right there it's jesse the body ventura and vince mcmahon on commentary as they throw to a clip from earlier today on WWF Superstars, Ken Patera injuring the neck of Bobby Heenan during that debate, thus explaining why the brain will have a neck brace here on Saturday night. Continuity, guys. As we head off to our first match, nope, wait. First, we head backstage to Mean Gene Okerlund. He's standing by with Ugandan headhunter Kamala, along with Kim Chi and manager Mr. Fuji. Kamala preparing to take on Jake the Snake Roberts. All right, thank you, Vince. With me at this time, Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter, Kim Chi, and their brand-new manager, none other than Mr. Fuji. Now, Mr. Fuji, you've got Kamala going against Jake the Snake Roberts. Why in the world would you sign this match when you know Kamala is deathly afraid of that 15-foot python, Damien? Mr. Fuji, born in the ear of the serpent, I understand the snake. I can help Kamala. I will help Kamala. Well, I, I've got to say this. Kamala will go berserk if that snake, in fact, ever would get loose. Who knows? He could run all the way back to darkest Africa. Vince, let's go back to you. All right, so is Kamala afraid of snakes? Mr. Fuji says he was born in the year of the serpent. He will help Kamala defeat Jake the Snake Roberts, and then Fuji does some weird, odd, snake-like gesture with his hand as he slithers out of the backstage area. From there, we go back in time, back to the end of February. We see a clip from the Snake Pit with Honky Tonk Man 
warming up that guitar and crashing it over the head of Jake the Snake Roberts. And then it's right backstage again to Mean Gene. This time, he is with the Snake. You've been having a rough time as of late, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. I, I can't help but believe that the honky-tonk man might have scrabbled your brain when he hit you over the head with that guitar. Why else would you sign a match against somebody as big and unpredictable as Kamala? Maybe because Damien wants to. Huh? Well, what would Damien want with Kamala? Why don't you ask him, Gene? You've got to be kidding me. We're out of time, Jake Roberts. What? Let's go back to you, Vince. All right, so Gene kind of prodding Jake there, kind of unnecessary. Mean Gene saying he thinks that the honky-tonk man may have scrambled the brains of Jake the Snake Roberts. No, that was probably the crack. Seriously, though, Gene questioning Jake's mind for signing on to take on the challenge of the Savage Kamala. And I think Jake handled that well. He didn't rough up Mean Gene, just simply stuck Damien in his face instead. Gene trembling with fear as we go back to the ring, and it's time for the matchup. Jake the Snake Roberts taking on the Ugandan headhunter Kamala Kimchi and Fuji at ringside. Jake hits the ring, dumping Damien right out of the bag, and Kamala flees to the floor. Finally, with Jake distracted, putting Damien away over in the corner, Kamala attacks to take control. Jake tries to battle back, but runs into a Kamala double thrust chop to the throat, and down goes the Snake Man. From there, the Ugandan then applies a bear hug on Jake the Snake Roberts, but Jake finally manages to escape by stomping the toes on the bare feet of the Jungle Savage. That's one way to escape a bear hug. But Robert's comeback is short-lived as Kamala puts him back down with a giant overhead chop to the top of the head of the snake and then chokes the snake down to the mat. But Kamala makes the mistake, doesn't go in for the kill, instead screwing around, walking around, slapping on that belly, allowing Jake to fight back yet again with jabs, rocking the big African. But Kamala drives the snake back down again, this time with a series of headbutts. From there, Jake rolls outside to the floor and lures Kamala outside to chase him around the ring. And back inside goes the snake. And as Kamala steps through the ropes, he's caught with a knee lift that staggers the headhunter. With a dazed Kamala in the middle of the ring, Jake climbs to the middle rope. And the snake flying knee lift. Awesome spot here by Jake Roberts. And down goes Kamala for the first time in the match. And Jake signals for it calling for the DDT, and the crowd erupts. But Mr. Fuji up to distract referee Joey Morella while Kim Chi sneaks in from behind and whacks Jake in the back of the head with a clothesline, taking him down to the mat. Down goes Roberts, and Kamala follows up with a big splash to steal the one, two, three. Kamala pins Jake the Snake Roberts in just four minutes and 15 seconds. Post-match, we see Kim Chi re-enter the ring to celebrate with Kamala, but Kim Chi slowly begins to remove his safari costume, removing the hat and jacket to reveal an all-too-familiar black and blue sparkling jumpsuit underneath. Kim Chi then slowly removes his mask to reveal... Wait, what a classy dresser Kim Chi is! Look at those threads! That's... That's... That's Whoa. a monkey top man! You mean to tell me all this time Honky Tonk Man has been Kim Chi? That's I can't it. believe it. Look at that. It's a Honky... Look, I can't believe he's doing that. I love it. I mean, the guy even fooled me. Kim Chi is the Honky Tonk Man. A Honky Tonk Man disguised as Kim Chi. You know, I'll bet you he keeps Kamala in line when he plays those sweet notes on the guitar to him. Honky Tonk Man can't be Kim Chi. Oh, no, don't do this. That's Jake Rado Row. Sets him up. Jake the Snake now. 
Oh! And they're breaking down to the canvas. Look at this. I can't believe that a hockey talk man has done this. How low can you go? This guy is so gracious. I mean, the Honky Tonk Band really appreciates a good crowd. I think so, huh? This man's going to pay and pay dearly one of these days, no question of that. That's the Honky Tonk Man. Great lines by Jesse Ventura there. You mean to tell me that Honky Tonk Man was Kim Chi all along, but Vince sells this awesomely here. That's the Honky Tonk Man! As the crowd is absolutely in a rage, booing the living shit out of the honky-tonk man as he drops some elbows on Jake for good measure before delivering the shake, rattle, and roll neckbreaker to add a little insult to injury there. Lots of heel heat coming in from the crowd on Honky, who then grabs the microphone to thank the fans for their support. What a beautiful audience as honky-tonk man leaves the ring. Now that is how you get over. And obviously this was a rehash of the Orndorff disguising himself as Kim Chi at the Spectrum a couple of months back during a Hogan-Kamala match, but they redo it here for the masses to see on national television, using the angle to further the Jake the Snake and Honky Tonk feud and really just escalate the heel heat for the Honky Tonk Man. And if I had to pinpoint an exact moment in time, an exact night that Honky went from a, a mid-card heel gimmick with potential to that next level, it was here on NBC, here tonight, May 2nd, 1987. He just looked like he belonged in the spotlight here. He really owned it tonight. He just came off as big time, and it got him over huge as a heel. And I gotta admit, I was extremely shocked to see Jake do the job to Kamala here. They hadn't really been doing much with Kamala. He wasn't even at WrestleMania, remember? And we just saw him job this weekend with Sika as well on Wrestling Challenge. Now, you've heard of victims of circumstance? Well, I think Kamala was really a perpetrator of circumstance here. Kamala is mostly here because they needed the kimchi gimmick to make the sneak attack work. And I feel that the Jake and Honky feud needed something at this point, and they delivered here tonight. Unfortunately, it's all for naught, at least for the feud, as Jake will be taking time off for an injury right after this taping. However, it justifies the mega push coming for the Honky Tonk Man. As for the actual match, not much to it. Kamala getting in the pin was an afterthought to the ongoing feud between Honky and Jake, and Honky got all of the heel heat here, even though he didn't even reveal himself until after the match. Love that flying knee lift by Jake, though. Really great stuff. It looked awesome. At this point, they pimp it. Later tonight, both Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant will reflect back on their WrestleMania 3 main event. That's coming later here on Saturday night's main event as we head into a break. And back from break, it's Lumberjack match time. It's going to be the Macho Man and George Steele as we see the Bulldogs arguing with the Hart Foundation at ringside, both teams making up a portion of the Lumberjacks. As we head backstage yet again, Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with George the Animal Steele. I wonder, however, if George the Animal Steele really knows what a Lumberjack match is. Well, I don't know, Vince. I'll have to ask him. George the Animal Steele, do you understand what a Lumberjack match is? Uh, uh... You know, you know, George, there's going to be 15 wrestlers surrounding that ring. And if either you or the Macho Man gets thrown out, either one or all 15 of them will throw you back in the ring until we have a decisive victor. George, there is no escape in a lumberjack match. 
George, George, do you realize that if you lose this match, it could be the last time that you ever see the lovely Elizabeth? Elizabeth! Yes. Nine! Oh, this isn't right, Vince. I really don't think that George the Animal Steel understands how brutal a lumberjack match can be. Back to you. And confused as always, George doesn't know what a lumberjack match is, it would seem. But he knows he wants Elizabeth. And wait a minute, we're going to throw back to Mean Gene. George steals back, and he's got his buddy with him, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It can be brutal. What is that, Jesse? Look, that's kimchi and honky-tonk. Mean Gene, maybe Mean Gene has an explanation. Who is kimchi? Well, Vince, that's hard to say. Wait a minute, George tells me that you were trying to confuse him. No, 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 no way. He just does not understand what the rules are in a lumberjack match and how dangerous it can be. Mean Gene, don't worry about it. I'm here to take George to the ring. After all, he was there to help me win my belt in WrestleMania number three. So I'm there to help him out. Come on, George. Hey! Well, it's a very special relationship with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and George the Animal Steel. Got to get you right here. Let's go back to you, Vince. All right, so Steamer says Gene is confusing the animal. George Steele helped Ricky the Dragon capture the IC title at WrestleMania number three. Oh, Ricky. So the Dragon is here to help the animal tonight. We'll have to see what Steamboat can do for George Steele. So now we've heard from one side of the coin. It's time to hear from the other. Once again, right backstage to Mean Gene. This time, he's with the former Intercontinental Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Thank you, Vince McMahon. With me at this time, the former Intercontinental Champion of the World, Randy Savage, along with his manager, Elizabeth. What do you mean, former Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion? I'm the true Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion forever. Right, Randy. Right what? Right champ. That's better, yeah. You know, Randy Savage, I don't understand a lot of things, including why you would want to get in a lumberjack match with George Steele. You gotta be ripping. First he kidnaps my manager, and then he costs me the title in WrestleMania 3. That derelict, yeah, no escape. Vengeance is mine! Yeah. All right, George the Animal Steel, perhaps I can understand that, but what about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat? He's going to be one of 15 men on the outside of the ring. How do you deal with him? He's going to be no factor, but I'll give every second of every day, yeah, to the Dragon, yeah, until he uh, loses the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship belt to the Macho Man Randy Savage. Elizabeth, down that aisle! All right. Come on. I'll tell you something. His ego is in peak condition. We're going to have to see about the rest. Let's go back to you, Vince. All right, so it's clear that Macho does not like the word former. He's the true IC champion. There's no escape tonight. Vengeance is the Macho Man's. Steamboat here is a non-factor, according to Randy Savage, until Macho beats him back for that intercontinental title. Elizabeth, down that aisle. Aha. Uh-huh. And we're back to ringside for the Lumberjack match. It is the Macho Man Randy Savage. Elizabeth in his corner taking on George the Animal Steel. And somehow it's determined that this match will end the rivalry. Wish they had thought of this a year ago. And we see 15 Lumberjacks ringside, including the feuding hearts and bulldogs. Hey, Kim Chi and Honky Tonk Man walking out side by side together to the ring? What's that about? We see Steamboat and Hercules out there. Those two will be going at it later. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is here as a Lumberjack. Plus the Can-Am Connection, Nikolai Volkov, Iron Sheik, Danny Davis, and Tito Santana. The 15 Lumberjacks surround the ring as George Steele is out first with the Dragon. He's accompanied by Ricky Steamboat and Ricky Steamboat's theme music here. 
And as I mentioned, Hercules, also a lumberjack, tripping up Steamboat before the match to tease their match later here tonight. And it's the Macho Man out next in an awesome black and red sparkling robe. He's had a couple of really cool robes as of late here, and this one is one of my favorites. George Steele comes over to Elizabeth, takes her by the hand, but Randy Savage attacks from behind, and the match is on. But Steele quickly turns the tide, and the Macho Man bails outside, but he forgets it's a lumberjack match. Savage jumps out right in front of the baby faces, so they toss him right back in. This happens a couple of times in a row before Macho Man realizes he has to wrestle the animal. And then from there, it's back and forth. George Steele biting the Macho Man, Savage choking the animal. Both men take a bump through the ropes. Both men rolled back inside by the lumberjacks. The Macho Man finally wallops the animal with a top rope double axe handle before pitching him through the ropes out to the heel side of the ring. From there, as you might imagine, the heels begin to beat down on George Steele until the baby faces run around. Namely, Ho! Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming around with his trusty 2x4. Tough guy chasing all the heels away, and Sheik and Volkoff run into the ring. Duggan following them into the squared circle with his 2x4, but multiple referees then rush out and send Hacksaw Duggan back to the locker room. So Hacksaw is being booted out of this lumberjack match just three and a half minutes into the contest as Saturday night's main event goes to commercial. And then back from break, we don't miss a beat. Steele's still on the outside. The heels try to go after him, but George Steele fights him off and returns to the ring on his own to take it to the Macho Man, even snacking on a turnbuckle in the process. Steele then drives the turnbuckle stuffing into the eyes of the Macho Man, but Savage still takes back over and nails a suplex and a big jumping knee drop before sending the animal back out to the floor. Luckily this time, though, George lands by the good guys, and they safely roll him back into the ring, and George goes right back after Randy Savage, flinging him over the top rope and out to the feet of Ricky the Dragon's steamboat. What is the dragon going to do? Well, Steamboat the Gentleman simply does his job and rolls the Macho Man back inside the ring. Well, that was nice of you, Ricky, where the animal is waiting and comically sends Macho right back outside to the dragon's feet yet again. But this time, Savage gets up, and he nails the dragon, and Steamer unloads with chops right back on the Macho Man, and it's on on the outside. This leads to Hercules attacking Steamboat, the Can-Ams fighting with Sheik and Volkoff, Bulldogs and Tito getting into it with the Hearts and the Honky Tonk Man, leaving the referee Dave Hepner distracted with all this fighting on the floor. Former referee Dangerous Danny Davis sneaks into the ring from behind with the ring bell and whacks George Steele across the back. Down goes the animal and the macho man to the top rope. Flying elbow. Randy Savage picks up the win here in 6 minutes and 41 seconds. So thus far we've had two matches and two distracted referees to go into the finishes. But the feud is finally over. And even though it was a screw job, the wrestling gods have deemed this the brawl to end it all. And I think that was a good call. Time to move on for the Macho Man. Post-match, Ricky Steamboat hits the ring to attack the Macho Man, which leads to essentially everyone at ringside sliding into the ring for another wild brawl. Looks like a battle royal in there until Jake the Snake Roberts makes his way back out. Now with bandaged ribs, selling the splash from Kamala, no doubt. But Jake isn't alone. No, no, he has Damien by his side. Jake slides in with Damien, and everyone exits the ring. Honky Tonk Man goes flying over the top rope. He can't get out of there quick enough. 
everyone escapes the snake except Kim Chi. Doesn't make it out in time. Jake the Snake Roberts wrapping Damien around Kim Chi before he finally escapes the grasp of Damien Roberts back for revenge on the Honky Tonk Man, but Honky manages to escape for tonight. Now, as for the Lumberjack match, Savage wins the feud, as he should. Steel was screwed so he can save face, not that he really needs to in his character, but plenty of smoke and mirrors with the Lumberjacks fighting to take away from the lack of wrestling in the ring. And as long as you weren't looking for a quality wrestling match, this segment was fun for a few reasons. And I can only hope this doesn't lead to a Danny Davis-George Steele feud. Yikes. Back from break, the show goes on. And for the first time since WrestleMania 3, we're going to see Mean Gene conducting a sit-down interview with Bobby the Brain Heenan, now in a neck brace, and who he refers to as the uncrowned WWF champion. Andre the Giant. All right, we are privileged to have for the very first time since WrestleMania 3, Andre the Giant is our special guest at this time, along with his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Gentlemen, now that the dust is settled from WrestleMania 3, what about that devastating loss? What do you mean devastating loss? There was no loss in WrestleMania for us. We defeated Hulk Hogan right in the middle of that ring. Fair and square. If that's the case, Andre the Giant, how come you're not the heavyweight champion of the world? Because I was cheated. For the Bobby and family, I'm not the real champion. Oh, Bobby Heenan, No, no, on. let me explain something to you. Please. In all of Hulk Hogan's matches, the referees are biased. They go one way and they go for Hogan. The officials always back Hogan. Jack Tunney, well, we know what his integrity Jack lies. Jack Tunney? Yes, Jack Tunney, the president. We know what he's capable of doing. Everybody's out to help Hogan. They're out to slap him on the back. Well, I have film footage to show you. I'm going to show you and the whole world. 93,000 people, wouldn't it? Over millions and millions. This is the champion of the Let, world. Let's take a look, Bobby Heenan, on that subject. Let's roll the footage. Here we are at the Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan. Okay, now there's your champion, Hulk Hogan. He's saying everything that I can't repeat. Try and... Yes, he's trying to get Andre upset, but no, we're not losing it. Look at Andre, he's poised, he's cool, he's falling into our trap, Hogan. Now there's a man that's talking like a man who knows he's on his way out. A man that's going to lose the championship of the world. Look at Andre, confident as can be, because he is the giant, he is the champion. Look at Hogan, oh, shoved right out of the picture. And that doesn't even affect the giant. A punch. One, doesn't affect him. Two, doesn't move him. Three, doesn't even move him. Now we set him up. We knew he'd go oh, for the oh, slam. Just up. He up. hooked his leg, shifted his weight. One, two, three. We've got a new champion of the world. He counted to three. You saw it. 93,000 saw it. Million saw it. Wait a minute there. The referee is reinforcing his decision. He only came up with a two count. He's oh, he's to... lying. He's lying. The man counted to three. You saw it. The people saw it again. He counted to three. I demand an investigation, and I demand an investigation now. What are, are you telling me, Andre the Giant, that the referee was trying to pull something here, some chicanery, some shenanigans? I don't know what he tried to put in there, but I'll tell you one thing. I know I'm the world champion. It's very simple. You strip him of the championship, you give the belt to this man, or you demand a rematch. Well, we're it's that simple. Thank you very much, Bobby Heenan. Thank you, Andre the Giant. Vince, let's go back to you. I can't believe it. Believe it. All right, so Bobby Heenan, as I said, in a neck brace for this promo, continuity purposes, obviously, Andre says that he was cheated at WrestleMania, and he knows one thing, that he is the real world champion. The Brain says all the referees and Jack Tunney are biased towards Hogan, and Heenan has the video to prove it. They queue up a part of the match early on between Hogan and Andre. Hogan attempting to slam the Giant, but the Giant proves to be 
too large for the Hulkster. At that point in the match, Andre falling on top and Joey Morella nearly counting a three. Bobby Heenan and Andre think it was a three, and at times so did I. So there you have it, video proof, says the brain. Hulk Hogan should be stripped and hand over that title to Andre, or at the very least, Andre deserves a rematch. And of course, now that they have provided this film footage, Jesse Ventura on commentary has a doubt in his mind now at who really was the winner at WrestleMania 3. Well, we saw where Heenan's film footage of the Hogan Orndorff cage match got him. Let's see if it works better here with Andre. And as we head into our next commercial break, we get a Hacksaw Duggan bumper. Duggan says if Nikolai Volkov tries to sing that Russian national anthem tonight, it'll be the last time. Tough guy. And then back from break, Mean Gene yet again. As we prepare for the upcoming two out of three fall tag team title match, it's Gene Okerlund standing by with the tag team champions, the Hart Foundation. Well, gentlemen, we've seen your so-called victories in Tampa and at WrestleMania 3, and I think I can speak for everybody when I say you stole those belts. Yes, indeed, you did steal them from the British Bulldogs. You are a shame. You're a disgrace. You're a black eye in the face of professional wrestling. Well, thank you, Mean Gene. You stole, you stole those belts from the British Bulldogs. Calm down, Mean Gene. Calm down. Hey, the British Bulldogs, they're crybabies, and they'll have their shot tonight for the championship belts. They'll not have a fair shot with this man, Danny Davis, around. Come here. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe it. I hope official action is taken against these men. In all of my years of broadcast journalism, I have never been so viciously and rudely treated. Let's go back to you, Vince. All right, and the heart's in full force there. It's Brett and Neidhart, Danny Davis, and Jimmy Hart here. Gene says that the hearts stole the belts. But Bret Hart says, hey, the Bulldogs have their rematch tonight. Mean Gene thinks it won't be fair with Danny Davis at ringside. We've seen what he's done in the past. We saw what he did in the Lumberjack match. An angry Danny Davis lunges at Mean Gene, trying to attack Okerlund as he has to be dragged away by the Hart Foundation to end that segment. So what Gene doesn't realize is, though, the Hart Foundation have Danny Davis in their corner, but the Bulldogs will have Tito Santana in their corner for this upcoming match. It is two out of three falls for the WWF Tag Team Titles Champion Hart Foundation with Jimmy Hart and Danny Davis taking on the Bulldogs with Tito Santana. And as we head to the ring, we go into fall number one. But before things can start, Matilda gets a piece of Jimmy Hart's pants leg, literally ripping a hole in it. Talk about a close call. Matilda also taking a bite out of the megaphone. But as the bell sounds, the action begins. It's Bret Hart and Davy Boy Smith going to start the match. Some great back and forth holds and counter holds, as you can imagine. Smith, though, with a monkey flip and then a crucifix. For a two count, but Davey finally runs into a Bret Hart knee in the breadbasket, and down goes Smith as the anvil tags in to beat down on Davey Boy. And when referee Joey Morella is distracted here, the Hart Foundation cheat away in their corner, and then Bret with a backbreaker, taking Smith down to the mat, the hitman then throwing Davey into the corner, but runs into the knees of Smith, and it's finally time Davey Boy hot tag to the Dynamite Kid who whips Brett chest first into the buckle. Always love that bump from the hitman. And then Dynamite from there delivering a snap suplex of sorts. Still not there yet. Dynamite, though, in total control. So the anvil rushes in, knocking Davy Boy out to the floor, where Danny Davis even takes some cheap shots on Smith. And then it's the Hart Foundation double-teaming Dynamite Kid in the ring, putting the boots to him, taking him down to the mat, refusing to adhere to the referee's call. 
while Tito chases Danny Davis around ringside for attacking Davy Boy Smith on the floor. Joey Morella loses control and calls for the bell, disqualifying the Hart Foundation for the excessive double-teaming of the Dynamite Kid in the ring. First fall goes 4 minutes and 32 seconds. It's awarded to the British Bulldogs. So as we go into fall number 2, the Bulldogs are up one fall to zero. So let's see what they can do here. Fall number two. Now the Dynamite Kid has to start the fall, and he's worked over quite a bit here by the Hart Foundation, who deliver their own version of the demolition decapitation here. But the Kid makes an attempt to fight back and try and make a tag, but the Anvil cuts him off, and the Hart Foundation remain in control for the most part here in the second fall. The Hearts with more illegal double teaming, causing Davy Boy to chase Bret Hart and Danny Davis around ringside while the Anvil grounds Dynamite in the ring. The kid now bleeding from his nose, Vince McMahon suggesting he likely has a broken nose here. So first is back and now a broken nose. I can't believe I'm saying this about the Dynamite Kid, but poor guy. Brett then ties Dynamite in the ropes and takes a flying crossbody style leap at the kid. But Dynamite escapes the ropes and Hart takes that crazy bump into the ropes, crotching himself. So Dynamite was tied in the ropes. The hitman comes running at him, lunges his whole body, throws himself at the kid, but the kid gets out of the ropes and the hitman gets tangled in them instead. It's a unique, fun spot. We've seen it from the hitman before. We'll see it again here. And finally, though, Dynamite able to make the hot tag to Davy Boy Smith, who plows over the anvil with a shoulder tackle, a big drop kick, and then a clothesline. Gets a near fall from Smith on Neidhart. Smith with an impressive delayed vertical suplex on the anvil. Does it with ease, but telegraphs a backdrop and the Hart Foundation take back over. Brett grabs Davey from behind, holding him for a charging anvil, but Smith out of the way, and Neidhart plows the hitman, sending him flying off the ropes and into the guardrail. Brett is out on the floor, so it's Danny Davis jumping up onto the apron next, but Tito Santana rushes across and clocks Davis, sending him off the apron. It's down to just the anvil. What can he do? Davey Boy tags back to Dynamite Kid, scooping the kid up into a gorilla press, does Davey Boy Smith, and Smith launches his partner Dynamite on top of the anvil, crossbody style. One, two, three. The Bulldogs have done it in two straight falls. Second fall goes four minutes, 34 seconds. The Bulldogs win the match here after a total of nine minutes and six seconds of action. Wait, what's Jesse Ventura so happy about? Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the bout in two straight falls, the British Bulldog. What a celebration here at the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> I love it, I love it. What do you love? Why are you laughing? I am laughing because I get to be the spoiler. There was a disqualification in the first fall. The British Bulldogs win the match, but they don't win the title. You can't win the title on a disqualification. I forgot all about that. You're right about that. All right, so the Bulldogs are the winners in two straight falls. Vince plays it up huge on commentary. All right, yes, new champions. But Jesse Ventura has a laugh at Vince and the Bulldogs' expense. Why is Jesse laughing? Because the first fall ended in a disqualification, and titles can't change hands on a DQ. That's right, I forgot about that. Vince has a short memory. Insert your jokes here. Ventura the spoiler, the titles cannot change hands on a DQ. So this match was essentially over after the first fall. The Bulldogs couldn't win the belts, so who cares about fall number two? 
As for the match, this was the best Dynamite has looked since his injury in December. That's not saying a lot, but the Hearts took care of him in the ring, other than busting his nose. Dynamite didn't have to do a whole lot here, but he looked slightly more mobile, so I guess that's a positive. Davey, though, looked great as usual while in the ring, and for what it was, this was a solid match, given the circumstances. Imagine if the kid had been 100%. What amazing matches we could have got here between the Bulldogs and the Hearts. But the Hart Foundation retained the titles tonight, and the show moves on. We heard from Bobby Heenan and Andre earlier their side of the story of what happened at WrestleMania 3. Andre, the uncrowned WWF champion. Now let's hear Mean Gene standing by with the Hulkster. Let's take you down to Mean Gene and the Hulkster. All right, with me at this time, the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan, successful in his ultimate title defense in WrestleMania 3 against Andre the Giant. Hulkster, I've got to believe that this victory was a little sweeter than most. Well, you know, whenever Hulkamania runs victorious, victories are always sweet. But in front of 93,000 people, the largest indoor crowd in history, Hulkamania was sweeter than ever. You know, Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant have made a number of accusations. As a matter of fact, Andre contends he is still undefeated and that he is indeed the heavyweight champion of the world. I'd like to have you address that a little bit later on. But first of all, Hulk, what was it like to lock up with 525-pound Andre the Giant? Well, you know, it was like the largest, the strongest power in the universe. And when I saw Andre the Giant, I knew I was up for the ultimate challenge. I knew I was ready to face the weasel, the whole family, and especially the power of that nasty giant. All right, we got comments earlier on from Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan. I'd like to have you take a look at this footage. Here we are at the Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, 93,000 plus, and what are you saying to the Giant? Well, right now, I was getting up right in the face, man. I was looking him in the eyes. I saw him tremble. I saw him shake a little bit. And I'm telling him right here, I don't fear you, big man. I don't fear what you stand for. Give me your best shot, Andre. Let's see who the real champion is. And right here, Andre responds, man. Push comes to shove. Push comes to shove. Now it's like trying to take the top off Mount Vesuvius. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't move. And then when I shot underneath, when I went for the slam, he shifted his weight. Down I went. I thought for one minute Hulkamania was over. But when I saw that referee with only a two count, I knew what I had to do. I had to rise above. I had to take 93,000 plus Hulkamaniacs to the mountaintop with me, Mean Gene. And with all that, the psych I had on and all those Hulkamaniacs, we know what went down in the Silver Dome. It had to be an absolutely brutal battle, but now Hulk Hogan. What about the comments from Heenan and Andre? They say you should be stripped of the title. If not stripped, you should be forced to once again defend against the big Frenchman. Well, they can have an investigation if they want to. I don't care. Check out the footage. If they want a rematch, the Hulkamaniacs and I, we fear no man or beast. But as far as stripping me of that title... Andre the Giant, you gotta beat me one, two, three. You can't complain to the WWF. You can't complain to all your fans on your side. You gotta face Hulkamania and Mean Gene. Now that I've felt the wrath of the Giant, now that I know the Heenan family can't handle Hulkamania, Hulkamania shall live forever long after I'm gone. All right, he is the heavyweight champion of the world, ladies and gentlemen. He is number one, Hulk Hogan. All right, we hear from the WWF champion Hulk Hogan, his side of the match at WrestleMania 3. The Hulkamaniacs know what really went down at the Silverdome, brother. The proof is in the footage 
Hulk Hogan was the winner. Hulk welcomes a rematch, but after he pinned the Giant, he already knows that the Heenan family stands no match for him. Hulkamania will indeed live forever. Dude. And now we go backstage yet again with Mean Gene. My God, he's all over the place. This time, Mean Gene's standing by with the Intercontinental Champion, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. All right, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, you've already seen action tonight in the Lumberjack match. Now, are you ready to defend your title for the very first time? Very first time on Saturday night's main event. You can bet this dragon is breathing fire. Hercules, I'm ready to burn. All right, but are you ready, Ricky Steamboat, for the antics of Bobby the Brain Heenan? Mean Gene, I have come too far. This dragon's come too far, breathing fire, for any man to stop me, including the cheating likes of Bobby the Weasel Heenan. All right, that dragon is on fire, and now let's see if he can burn down Hercules. Okay, and so this is Steamer's first IC title defense on TV. He's breathing fire and ready to burn. Love the puns here. Steamer gonna melt the chains of Hercules here tonight. So hokey. And it's off to the ring for Intercontinental Champion Ricky Steamboat taking on the mighty Hercules. Bobby Heenan at ringside wearing that neck brace. Hercules already in the ring, but as Steamboat makes his way out, Randy Savage is shown backstage watching the match intently on a monitor. Mean Gene tries to get a word with the Macho Man. Wow, does Gene get around fast. What are you talking about, Randy Savage? Are you telling me you want Ricky the Dragon Steamboat to win? No, no, no. I'll let him slide past tonight, but I want to take it from him myself. Yeah, that's the way I do it, yeah. I can't help but think that's a little selfish. Selfish, man, that's where the macho man lives his life, thinking about myself and only myself. And I'll get that title back myself. You know, that be- So Savage says he is the true champion. He wants Steamboat to slide past Hercules tonight because Savage wants to be the man to take the Intercontinental title off the Dragon. Sounds selfish? That's how the Macho Man rolls. As the match gets started, Hercules lowers the boom on Steamer, but the Dragon battles back with quick offense and a series of chops, sending Hercules out to the floor. Steamboat follows Hercules outside with an atomic drop. Not sure what good that did. An atomic drop on the floor, then Steamboat back inside, Hercules into the ring with a leverage maneuver, pulling Steamboat face-first into the corner buckle. Hercules in control and on the offense yet again as we go to multiple insert video shots of the Macho Man throughout this match backstage, cheering on Steamboat. He wants Ricky to retain the title here tonight. And then Hercules back in the ring, big clothesline. Down on the dragon, gets a two count, but Steamboat fires back. Get it? Fires back? Hey, if Ricky can do it, I can too. And the dragon delivers a neckbreaker to take Hercules down to the mat. Hercules, however, cuts the dragon off by going to the eyes. And he locks in the full Nelson. And Gorilla Monsoon would be proud of him because, yes, the fingers are locked, Jess. We get a shot backstage of the Macho Man losing it in the locker room, screaming at Steamboat to get out of the full Nelson. But the Macho Man isn't going to take any chances, though. And he takes off, darts out of the locker room and down that aisle. The Macho Man to ringside grabbing the foot of Hercules, causing Herc to release the full Nelson to see what's going on. He turns around. Macho Man just saved the dragon from potential defeat. And then Hercules outside to the floor, and in a pretty cool moment, the three heels, Hercules, Bobby Heenan, and Randy Savage, 
get into an argument on the outside as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, it doesn't appear they've shaved off any time here. We pick right back up where we left off on the video with the dragon down on the mat after the full Nelson. Hercules ascends to the top rope. He doesn't climb to the top rope. His father is Zeus. He ascends to the top rope. Does the mighty Hercules. Hercules for a flying splash. But Steamboat gets his knees up and down goes the mighty one. Even still, Hercules, the first man up to his feet, catching the dragon with a big scoop slam, but he misses a jumping elbow drop and a charge into the corner, so Hercules now down. Steamboat firing up again with knife-edge chops, mounting Hercules in the corner, but Herc counters with an inverted atomic drop, taking the champion down to the mat. Then out of nowhere, for no good reason, Bobby Heenan up on the apron just tosses the chain into the ring, causing an immediate disqualification after 6 minutes and 28 seconds. Hercules quickly wraps the chain around Steamboat's previously injured throat and jerks him around, similar to what Patera did to Heenan on Superstars. Hercules then sits on the back of Steamboat in a camel clutch-like position, and he wrenches back on the chain wrapped around Steamboat's throat, all the while a conflicted Randy Savage watching on in the aisleway. Hercules choking the life out of Steamboat, but finally releases the dragon and celebrates with Heenan as the Macho Man points out Steamboat was the winner. Steamboat is still the champion, which is all he cares about. The dragon will retain the title, and the Macho Man couldn't be any happier about that. Hercules passes Savage in the aisle. They exchange a couple words, nothing big there. As the Macho Man heads into the ring, Vince McMahon on commentary suggesting that maybe there's an ounce of dignity and compassion in the Macho Man after all. As Savage rolls Steamboat over, presumably to check on him, but no, Macho climbs to the top rope and drops the flying elbow on the down dragon. Absolutely disgusting. But to be honest with you guys, if you go back and watch this, the fans pop huge when Savage climbs the rope, jumps off, and drops the elbow, but then they boo after the spot is over. So at the very least, Randy Savage, he's been getting a lot of pops anyway, but the, the flying elbow is absolutely over here. Now the match itself, it was fine. The DQ spot made no sense though. Hercules was in total control when Heenan randomly pitched him the chain directly in front of referee Dave Hebner. You know, I'm a little surprised that they couldn't give Ricky a win here, a pinfall win, but maybe he already requested that time off. Who knows? And I love the story with Savage wanting Steamboat to retain the title so that he can be the one to beat him back for the IC belt. And the brief heel versus heel altercation they teased with Herc and Macho Man mid-match was pretty damn cool as well. So if you learned one thing tonight from the last two matches, it's that titles don't change hands on a disqualification. So thus far, we've seen Mean Gene in 17 different locations here on Saturday night's main event, but this time he's standing ringside. Yes, he's standing by to talk to a fan in the front row, a fan by the name of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Ho! All right, this is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He is a new face to our Saturday night main event viewers, but he is a now all too familiar face to the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Hacksaw, what are you doing here sitting ringside? Mean Gene, as simple as red, white, and blue. I love this country. I think it's the greatest place on earth. 
I love the USA, and I hate anybody who doesn't. All right, but you're not even wrestling tonight. In fact, you've been barred from the ring area. So what are you doing here tonight? Mean Gene, I bought paid for this ticket with my own hard-earned money. And if that Nikolai Volkov tries to sing that Russian trash, I'll be right here as I pledge to be. I may be banned, but I don't care. You're not going to sing that song again, Volkov. All right, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, have a good time watching the show. We're going to be watching you. Good luck. That's it from ringside. Gene introducing Duggan to the NBC crowd. Even though they saw him earlier in the Lumberjack match, Hacksaw says he loves this country and he hates anybody who doesn't. Tough guy. So it appears Duggan has been barred from ringside for this match. Why would he be here anyway? But somehow he buys a ringside ticket which allows him at ringside. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like that, but it is wrestling after all. Duggan promises Volkov will not sing the Russian national anthem here tonight. So let's break this down, Hacksaw Duggan, right here, right now. Earlier scheduled as a lumberjack, so he was part of the card. He also got a bumper promo talking about this upcoming match. Even though he was barred from ringside, they gave him promo time twice to talk about this upcoming matchup. Hacksaw barred from ringside, which means he's not allowed at ringside, which means if he shows up, there should be fines and suspensions. So what does he do? He buys a ticket, which somehow allows him to be at ringside. Okay, let's suspend our disbelief here. So Hacksaw Jim Duggan permitted to be at ringside as long as he's one of the fans. We'll have to see how that works out here. As the show continues on, it's our final match of the night, the Can-Am Connection, taking on the team of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with the Doctor of Style Slick in their corner. And I go back to the Can-Ams, and I start to wonder, does Duggan dislike the Canadian part of the Can-Ams too? Don't be hating on Rick Martel now. And before the match begins, we go to a pre-recorded promo from the Doctor of Style Slick and his two men. Earlier on, we spoke with Volkov and Sheik. America, you cannot deny these men their freedom of speech. And as one of America's greatest patriots, I, the Slickster, will stand with them in their fight for the rights of the party. <laughs> the Communist Party. I can't believe he said that. He said it, and there's the man that don't like it right there. So Slick says you can't deny his men their freedom of speech. And as one of America's greatest patriots, the Slickster will stand for the right of the party. The Communist Party. Vince can't believe that he said that. Unbelievable. Then to the ring, with Nikolai Volkov attempting to sing that Russian national anthem, but once again, the heels are chased out of the ring by, you guessed it, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who jumps the rail at ringside and chases them away with his trusty 2 by 4 Ladies and gentlemen, the Doctor of Style, on behalf of Mr. Volkov, requests that you all rise and respect Nikolai Volkov. I can't believe they're going to. The Soviet National. He doesn't Empire. have enough guts to do it. Look at Duggan. Looks like he's going to stand up. He's singing it. Volkov is singing the Russian national anthem. That's gutsy. That's guts on the part of Nikolai Volkov. Wait a minute. Hey, look at this. Coming into the ring now, Hexar Jim Duggan up two by four. Missed. I don't think he missed. He may have nailed him on the head. Hacksaw Jim Duggan pledged he was going to be there. Once again, 
has his capacity crowd reeling. If this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, why isn't he entitled to sing that anthem now? Bergen will take a ringside seat. We'll return with the Sheik Volkov Can-Am Connection matchup. Duggan then gets on the microphone and tells the two commies, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Beginning a huge USA chant with the fans. So Volkov can't sing his Russian national anthem. And the reason being, Hacksaw says, because this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Very oxymoronic there. Heavy on the moronic. It's silliness, I know. But again, it's wrestling, so just sit back and enjoy. Finally, order is restored during a commercial break. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan somehow allowed back to his ringside seat. So he was barred from ringside, jumped the gate, attempted to attack Sheik and Volkov with a two-by-four, a foreign object. And then he's permitted to go back to his seat. I want one of those tickets. As the match gets going, the Can-Am connection take control to start, but Sheiky cuts off Zink with his questionable curl-toed boot to the gut, and the heels take over on the future Z-Man. Sheik with a nice-looking gut wrench suplex, vertical suplex, and a really nice belly-to-belly here from the Iranian. All of them getting two counts on Tom Zink. Volkov in with every bit of offense he has, which is a couple of stomps before he tags back to Sheik, who right away locks in the abdominal stretch on the Z-Man, but Zink counters out with a hip lock. Both men back up, but Zink runs into an Iron Sheik clothesline and tossed outside for cheap shots by Volkov on the floor. Rick Martel comes into the ring, but he's also dumped to the outside. Sheik and Volkov out on the floor, double-teaming Zink right in front of Hacksaw Duggan in that front row, causing Jim to jump over the rail once again without any security in sight. Again, I gotta buy one of these tickets. Duggan then chases Nikolai into the ring as referee Joey Morella stops Duggan in his tracks. As Morella argues with Hacksaw, Martell from behind, reverse rolling cradle, yes, the O'Connor roll on the Iron Sheik gets the one, two, three, and the Can-Ams win another one. Three minutes and 54 seconds and post-match, Rick Martell goes outside to check on Zink while the heels proceed to triple team Hacksaw Duggan in the ring, stomping him down to the mat. Duggan rolling outside to the floor by the Can-Ams and all three men regroup and all three babyfaces re-enter the ring to help chase off the heel unit. The Can-Ams pick up another big win on TV here this weekend for the world to see and Hacksaw Jim Duggan continues to shine. And let's go back to earlier in the grenade. Remember all the new stars I mentioned with no Hulk Hogan on this televised card? Vince McMahon doing an excellent job of utilizing all of the new talent we've been talking about here, except for Brutus Beefcake. All of the new pet projects by Vince McMahon utilized very well here on this edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. And with that, we conclude this edition of SNME. As Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon say goodbye, as Phil Collins takes us home. Take, take me home. Now, as for the show, reportedly, sales weren't too great for this particular Saturday night main event taping. And I'm not sure if that was the venue, the time of year, the fact that we're coming out of WrestleMania. Remember, Meltzer predicted that houses and gates were going to be a lot lower coming out of the big event. So the WWF went ahead and added a big dark match to this taping, featuring the WWF champion Hulk Hogan teaming with Ken Patera, defeating the team of Hercules and Andre the Giant. Yes, a lot of people thought that Andre didn't wrestle again until Survivor Series following WrestleMania 3, but the fact is he did. And here's a match right here. It was Hogan and Patera 
over the team of Andre and Hercules. Big match, yes. Hogan scoring the win here, of course he did, over Hercules and the big leg drop. And honestly, I would have liked to have seen that match for nostalgia purposes anyway. And now to my closing thoughts on this edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. Having no Hulk Hogan means you're without your world champion. Now, while Hulk and Andre did appear to sell a potential future rematch between the two, which was pretty big in itself, this show relied heavily on Jake Honky, Savage Steamboat, and Steel, Bulldog's Hearts, and the Hacksaw Sheik and Volkov storylines. So while there was no big WWF title match here, the show flowed well in and out of each segment, I thought. They took all of the talents they were looking to push post-WrestleMania. On the babyface side, we saw Hacksaw, Jake the Snake, the Can-Am Connection, Ricky Steamboat, the IC Champion, and on the heel side, of course, Randy Savage, and now the Honky Talk Man, and Danny Davis costing Steel the match. Davis still getting his spots in. Now, I gotta admit, I was a little surprised that this is the card they used, considering we won't have another Saturday night's main event for like a whole five months. But I thought they did a great job trying to build their next wave of stars heading into the summer here. Fun show overall. And that concludes another fun edition of Saturday night's main event here this week on The Grenade. And when we return next week, we're going to continue on with May of 1987 in the WWF. We're going to look at all kinds of WWF related news, plenty of results coming your way as well. And of course, yes, Sound bites galore all next week. Stay tuned. It's May 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation. It's coming around the corner. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Indie Wrestling got a hold on you. Here's what you gotta do. Bring home all the action. You'll get more satisfaction when you bring home all the action. Get a grip. Get a lock. Get a hold on everyone. Okay, guys, I want to thank you one more time for your loyalty to the program. Just want to remind you guys, you can head over to WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. You can listen to all past episodes of The Grenade, as well as our sister shows like Monday Warfare, Raw vs. Nitro, also the Regional Wrestling Podcast. We just knocked out a trilogy on the WWF in 1977, and now working on the UWF, that's Bill Watts' UWF in 1986, and a whole lot more coming your way on Regional Wrestling. You can listen to all of that on WrestleCopia.com and everywhere your streaming needs are met. Also, a reminder to follow us on social media on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow, like us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And of course, if you have a few bucks laying around, you can show your support. We could really use your help paying the bills. Hosting fees are due this month here in the month of February here in 2023. And you can help us by subscribing to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I'm only asking you guys to try out that $5. $5 is all I'm asking for. That all access tier gets you all sorts of great gifts, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for three of our podcasts, early access to many episodes of the shows here on WrestleCopia, plus digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, and so much more. All of that for just $5. No subscription, cancel any time, give it a try. I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in 
to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And with all of that out of the way, like I said, we will return next week. It's more of May 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation. So until then, this is Ray Russell saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. Wait, what a classy dresser Kimchi is. Look at those threads. That's Honky Talk Man! You mean to tell me all this time Honky Talk Man has been Kim Chi?